As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So, Matt, you know how people are always wanting to go down to Times Square for New Year's Eve? Yeah. I, I really can't figure out why they want to because they always drop the ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Good, <laughs> good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I am wonderful. Excellent. Enjoying Excellent. enjoying this holiday season? Oh, dude, I'm telling you. It's uh I always feel good around the holidays. Like Yeah. I I play the Scrooge cuz it's fun for me to play the Scrooge, but I do like Christmas, I like New Year's. There's just people seem different around mm-hmm. the holidays. I I don't know exactly what it is, but things feel different. People feel different so i like the the holidays i'm enjoying it too but it's not cold yet at, at the point yeah, of right uh recording this it still feels like <laughs> summer it was, <laughs> it, yeah it was uh it was like 68 degrees here today yeah. <laughs> people are walking around in shorts it it rained but nonetheless you know it's it's you know coming up on the the end of December and mm-hmm. you you could you know Brooks is wearing shorts to school so Dude, we were at seventy eight today. I there's a cold front coming in, but December yeah. itself. I mean that <laughs> that's classic um, for Texas December. We don't get cold until the end of January, beginning of February, and then we get some freak ice storm that. Yeah, you know, yeah, shuts down all, half all the of our state. listeners that are that are like in Minnesota and Michigan and like northern Ohio and all the way up to like New England. They're you know, they're you can see their eyes sticking out above the snow banks. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and we're down here, it's like, you know, Christmas Day, you know, you can walk outside yeah. and, and, and shirt and short sleeves mm-hmm. and, and be like, oh, it feels great. Yeah, <laughs> jeans and short sleeves, and get a suntan. Oh, 
real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find some different shows to listen to and find some information about podcasting and all that stuff. We also want to thank tonight's sponsor, the loan sponsor for this episode, and that's HelloFresh. We will talk more about them later. Now, Matt, that's all I got because this is going to be a long episode. This is going to be a long one, yeah. Um, but we're we're picking back up where we left off. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are continuing on our celebration of the the old Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories around the fire on Christmas Eve, and right. you know we're. You guys have done such an amazing job sending in stories that we've had to break it up into two shows. So this is your your New Year's uh, gift from from Graveyard Tales. Um, more of the stories that you guys submitted, and I tell you what, that first show, Adam. I mean, we had some amazing oh, stories. Yeah. I mean, yep. just I, it it just fascinates me how many members of the graveyard have had significant experiences with, you know, weird, weird things happening, ghosts, um, you know, messages from past loved ones, mm-hmm. um, scripted sightings. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. There's still a couple of them I'm, I'm thinking about, like I've been thinking about them since we did that episode. I, I know. I know. So, Y'all have done a fantastic job this year, and and we appreciate it, and we might as well just go ahead and get right back into it. Absolutely. Let's go, Matt. All right. So um, our first story for tonight comes from our buddy Rob, and Rob says, I met my best friend in the police academy 20 years ago. We were each other's best men at our weddings and have been close since going through the academy together. My best friend is a dyed-in-the-wool skeptic. He would always make fun of me even when he was present for something we couldn't explain for my belief in the paranormal. This all changed about three years ago when he built his new home. About six months after he was living in his house, he came to me and told me the following story. He and his new wife, who is also in law enforcement, decided to build their new house in western Palm Beach County. They selected the lot and built from scratch. During construction, there were homes in the area reporting thefts of appliances and fixtures, so he decided to stay in the house until the final certificate of occupancy was complete as to not have any burglary. He said he was sleeping in the empty living room area of the house on an air mattress when in the middle of the night, the mattress started being pushed on the tile. He said he woke up and thought he was dreaming, but as he was laying there, it happened an additional three times, almost turning the mattress a full 45 degrees from how it was sitting. Wow. He said he blew this off as just sleeping and moving in his sleep. After moving in, he and his son had breakfast one morning, and as usual, he went to his room to leave his son to clean up and place the chairs back at the table. He said he walked into the kitchen and all the chairs had been pulled away from the table and were now turned away from the table. He called his son to explain what he had done, and his son told him he had cleaned up and pushed the chairs back into the table. His son asked him why he was messing with him and that it wasn't a funny joke. 
He told me he didn't want to scare his son, so he laughed it off as an odd occurrence. Now, he and his wife, about a week later, were in bed at 4.15 a.m. He said they both heard what sounded like a gunshot coming from the doorway to their bedroom. They both jumped from bed, got their firearms, and cleared the house. This, this is what happens when you got a couple of cops living together. Yeah. I was going to say, and though it sounds like something I would do. <laughs> yeah. I hear a bang. I'm clearing the house. I, I tell you, That's I'm right. not going back to bed until I've cleared the house. But they found nothing and decided it must have come from the outside, but found no evidence of anything outside the house. Their alarm had not been tripped, and none of the motion cameras outside had been activated. About three days after this, he and his wife were getting ready to go to dinner when they both witnessed their sliding walk-in closet doors open on their own and slam shut hard enough to crack the hanging mirror on the door. Wow. He said at this point, he decided to talk to me about what was going on. He then told me he and his wife had other experiences to include hearing voices, footsteps, knocking, unexplained broken drinking glasses in the sink but they passed all of this off as explainable in one way or another after this last incident his wife said she would not return to the house until it was fixed he asked for my help and i was laughing at him said of course i would help him as long as he took back all the you are crazy jokes (laughs) he had made over the last 20 years we, we researched the land area where his house was built and found it was part of the Spanish and Indian Wars battleground. So hmm. I advised him to contact the local Native American tribe, tell them what had been occurring, as the area was known to have Native American burial mounds and artifacts historically. He contacted the local tribe, and a shaman came to his house. After 10 minutes, he said he would have to return to free the land and property of the spirits trapped wandering on the land and inside the house. The shaman said the land in the area was very troubled from things being disturbed and disrupted, and the spirits were angry. The shaman advised they were acting out inside the home out of vengeance for the land being disturbed. About a week later, the service was done, and since then, they have had no issues. Needless to say, my best friend, the skeptic, is now a believer. Yep. And and thanks, Rob. I mean, for those of y'all who don't know, um, you know, Rob is not only a police officer, he is a paranormal investigator. So there's no reason for us to give him any advice. He he knew exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and help this friend uh get get over the problem they were having because that's not something you expect in a brand new house. Nope. I'll, I'll say this, though. The, the one thing that makes me laugh and shake my head, too, is there's a lot of people like his friend that mm-hmm. there's some obvious, abnormal, paranormal things happening. But they're like, oh, I mean, you know, it. I could have moved the air mattress in my sleep. Uh how do you do you jump up and down in your sleep? I mean, how violently do you roll around? You know, or the glass is broken in the sink or hearing voices and they're like, oh, that's explainable. Yeah. I, okay. I think sometimes 
you know, and I'm not, I'm not t- trying to talk trash about Rob's friend. I'm just uh, commenting here. I, I think sometimes people out of fear don't That's want it. to admit that there's something paranormal happening. They are super skeptical because they're afraid of the paranormal or something that they can't explain. Right. So right. they, they, I, I agree. They go to that low hanging fruit and go, no, I mean, it, it was, there was an owl farting and it sounded like somebody said, Hey buddy. And, mm. uh, so that's what it was. It was an owl fart. It wasn't a ghost at all because they're, they're too afraid, you know? And yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's human nature to try to explain something that's like true. that way. That's true. So, I don't fault anybody for that, but you know, after a while, as you see in this story, sometimes you just have to, you have to give in and go, okay, okay, I get it. You yep. know, there's something yep. going on. Right. All right. So the next one we got is from Barb. Barb says, I thought I'd share some strange things that happened to my dad when I was a kid. In the eighties, our town went through a major economic slump and my dad was looking for a job. He decided to drive out west to see if prospects were any better than here. While he was gone, his best friend Joe became ill. Doctors decided uh, that an exploratory surgery was necessary to see what they could find. And Barb says, young folks, keep in mind, these were the days before cell phones and the Internet, so news traveled slowly. She goes on to say, the night before the surgery, my dad had a dream. Joe appeared, asking Dad to come with him. Dad asked where they were going. Away, Joe said. Dad replied, sorry, buddy. I still have some things to do. I can't go with you. His friend said goodbye, and the dream was over. My dad called home after breakfast the next morning, not knowing that his friend's wife had just phoned our house to notify us that Joe had passed away during the surgery early that morning. This was actually the second time something similar had happened to my dad. Back in the fall of 1977, my dad was talking on the phone with his mom back in Maine. He was telling her that we were planning a spring trip back east to visit her. My grandma had been diagnosed with cancer, but she didn't tell anyone how sick she actually was. When dad told her of our plans, she told him that she wouldn't be there in the spring. Of course, dad tried to laugh it off, but she said no. Um, She then told him that she knew she was going to die April die in april grandma was right she died april 5th 1978 wow hmm. i've heard of other people predicting their own death yeah that's what i was going to say I, uh, i've i've heard it but it's not it's not common but i have heard people i think there was a, a famous writer or something said he was going to die on yeah. this day and he actually did yeah so it's not unheard of it's just really it's odd um, for for you to be have that kind of premonition, right? Um, and maybe not and necessarily in a negative way, especially if you've lived a long, full life. You just kind of know, yeah, this is this is when I'm gonna make my exit. Yep. So thank you for that, Barb. Um, appreciate that. Yeah. Our next one comes from Vadi. Now Vadi says the story I'm sharing actually comes from my grandmother and she says she has permission to share since i was a kid i always had a keen fascination with all things paranormal 
I've had my own personal experiences, both creepy and somewhat comforting. So hearing this story from my grandmother really intrigued me. Call it a feel-good story. My grandmother was a stay-at-home mom while my grandpa worked uh, in the city over from the house. In order to kill some time while waiting on grandpa to get home from work, she was playing piano. It was a cloudy day, no sunshine at all. The curtains were open, and the only light on the living room was the small lamp above where the sheet music sat, which is really next to nothing. While playing a song, she immediately felt the hair stand up on the back of her neck as if someone or something was watching her. She saw, she saw the shadow of a man on the wall and the smell of pipe tobacco, which is a very distinct smell if you've ever been around it. Knowing Grandpa did not get, get off for a few hours, she was obviously freaked out. There was no one in the house with her and not enough light for a shadow to appear, and eventually it went away. Later to, find, later to find out that the previous owner of the house used to smoke a pipe and was hit by a train. Hmm. Just as an aside, I've, I've always wondered how people get hit by trains. Yeah. What, what, I mean, it may have been their job or something, but it just seems like trains are easy to avoid. But yet yep. it happens. And yep. that, that's just baffled me. I had a buddy get hit by a train. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I understand if you're like on the the train platform and fall right as the train is coming. Um, But even if you're walking on the tracks, unless you get stuck. I've been walking on the tracks before and felt a train coming a couple miles away and was able to move off the track. Yeah. So it is weird. Um, it, is. For, it doesn't seem like a, a thing that would be as common as it is. <laughs> I know it's odd, but Vadi goes on to say that after this incident, her grandmother never smelled pipe tobacco again and never had another experience. And she says she told us that the old owner was just making sure that her and her grandpa were taking care of the house, the same house she lives in today. And she said, uh, hope you enjoyed her grandma's story. And her grandma's name is Eldoris. So thank you, Vadi. That, that's, a really, that's a really good story. It's a, it's, it's a small, brief encounter, but definitely very significant with, mm-hmm. you know, not only a, a visual, but, you know, a um, olfactory experience. And, you know, smells and and paranormal experiences go hand in hand i mean that yep. you know the, a lot of people will report um different odors the indicating that you know there's there's maybe a spirit around good or bad i mean how many right. times have we had stories where you could smell like a lady's perfume mm-hmm. um or or flowers that yep. they were particularly fond of or kept in the house yeah it seems like um scent recognition with paranormal encounters is as prevalent as getting a feeling yeah from a paranormal encounter and it may be that that's the easiest way for the spirits to communicate they don't have to make a noise they don't have to move anything they just kind of emit the smell or or maybe that's just the way that entity smells 
mm-hmm. maybe when they come back, they were so fond of something that that's the way they smell when they come back. You know, I'm going to smell like patchouli and sawdust when I come back. <laughs> no. I'm going to smell like a, a bottle of patchouli in a wood shop. All right. So this next one is Jackie from the UK says, I've been listening to the podcast for a few years now and love it. I'm, I'm also a member of the Facebook group, which is one of the best groups there can be. Everyone is super nice and respectful. I agree with you, Jackie. We mm-hmm. have. We have the best group out there. I don't I don't care who you are. You can't argue with me. That's that's a fine group of people in our Facebook group. She says, anyway, I've been wanting to contact you with an event that happened to my mother for the Christmas show. She says, um, by way of background, I live in the UK and the event happened about 14 years ago. At the time, I was living in South London and working part time with two toddlers. My mother lived in a small village in North Essex a county which is east of London, and would come down for three nights to look after the children while my husband and I went to work. My mother had a car and would drive to and back from us late in the evening. This is because she wanted to avoid the heavy traffic you would get during the day and early evening on the small roads that she drove. Says she hated uh, motorway driving and avoided it. Well, I agree. I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of interstate driving myself. So, um, says with no, and that makes me think as an aside, we call them interstates. I, it makes sense that they would not call them interstates in the UK, the motorways, but I've never thought about it before. Mm -hmm. Like that's never crossed my mind that another country wouldn't call them interstates. (laughs) Unless they had states. Right. And they went to and from the states. But yeah. All right. Back to it. Says with no traffic, the journey was 90 minutes max. I should also say my mom is a night owl after decades working as a waitress in restaurants. It was about mid-autumn and my mom left my house. She says mum. So she's definitely from the UK, but I I sound weird saying mum. So I'm going to say mom. Um, She says it was about mid-autumn, and my mom left uh, my house on the Friday about 9 p.m. She sent a text about 11.30 p.m. saying she was home and well. She came the following week, and while I was preparing our evening meal uh, the day before she returned, she came into the kitchen and said she had something to tell me. She asked me, do you believe in ghosts? And then told me what happened when she returned home the previous week. The previous week, she had an uneventful drive back home and was coming into the village she lived in. She felt fine, wide awake, and was listening to the radio. The village she lives in is tiny. There's nothing uh, there but a few houses, a village school, a church, and a village hall. There was once a pub, but that had closed many years ago and was now a private home. The road into the village turns quite a bit until you are about one mile away when it straightens up And you can then get a good view into the distance. Um, As well, there are street lights where the village starts and then finish when you drive out. My mother uh, comes now onto the straight part of the road, which leads into the village. It was then she saw a person sitting on on the verge under the first street light to her right. She said she could see it was a young man as he was looking at her 
and he was slouching as you do when sitting on the ground and want to be comfortable. She didn't think anything about it, but taking note, there was someone there. As she pulled almost level with the man, he got up and stepped into the road right in front of her car. She could see he had fairish hair, um, chino-like trousers, a checked shirt, and he was holding a jacket over one shoulder. She would put his age, she says, at maybe early 20s. Says, my mom slammed on the brakes and braced herself for impact, but nothing. It was as if she said he was sucked under the car. She came to a stop and checked the rearview mirror. There was nothing in the road either. At that, she uh, became confused and panicked, put her foot down and drove home about one minute away. She said she ran into her house, not looking back, locking her car or unpacking it. Um, It frightened her to such an extent that it took her five days to talk about it to anyone. And I was the first person she told when she returned home after telling me she told my father a few weeks later, he was chatting to their neighbor who had lived in the village all his life. My dad made a comment that some people drive fast through the village. And the neighbor told my dad that about 10 years ago, when the pub was open, a young man was knocked down and killed by a speeding driver after leaving the pub while trying to walk back to the nearest town. My dad's ears perked up and asked, uh, asked where it had happened, and it was exactly where my mother had her experience. As well, the time that my mom saw the man uh, would have been the time that the pubs used to close and chuck out their uh, chuck out punters, uh, says the rules have changed since then. To this day, she will not talk about it, um, and at night takes a different 20-minute longer route home to avoid driving past the spot. Thanks, Jackie, for that story. Hey, I want to know, what what's a punter? Yeah, yeah. Somebody from the UK let us know. I guess my my thought is that it's a, a patron, somebody drunk that's closing down the bar. Yeah. That's, is I my mean, guess. I, yeah, I can use my context clues and figure it out. It's a term that I have not ever heard, and yeah. that's, that's kind of neat. I, lo- I love hearing when – sometimes I think people from the U.K., when they're they're talking to people from the States, they uh, they try to to not use the common vernacular that they're oh, yeah. used to. Yeah, 100%. Knowing, knowing that, us, you know – dumb americans will be like what what's that yeah what's a punter is that like a guy on the football field (laughs) yeah exactly um so i like hearing i just you know i I like hearing uh people from the uk just speak like they normally would um it always fascinates me i've i've had i've had numerous patients from the uk especially when you get them excited uh you know they can't control it and I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. you got to slow down. I can't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, that's like <laughs> when I get excited or mad, my Texan comes out a lot. I get real Texas drawl. And I, when I worked up there in Tennessee, people would always tell me, you know, when you get mad, you get real Southern. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it actually makes sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But, but. Sorry, yeah, thank Jackie. You. We didn't mean to hijack your story based on this. The story is fascinating. Yeah, and I was going to say thank you for that because we have seen stories of haunted highways and stuff a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. And our buddies over at Astonishing Legends actually did like a, a ghost hitchhiker story 
a um, couple times, and it, it's always it's always something I think about when I'm driving at night. Mm-hmm. Is am I going to see something like that, especially on like the back roads? If I'm driving a country road or just a small road here, I think about that. I'm like, hmm, I wonder, am I going to see a ghost or a Bigfoot or something? I never have, unfortunately, but I kind of want to. Yeah, I've I've never seen anything like that. Um, you know, I've I've seen some odd things, but I've always just played it off as it's odd to me because of the time. You know, right? Seeing someone walking down the road, you know, at two a.m. Yeah, which, you know, that was a long time ago. I'm if I'm driving at two a.m., there's a problem. Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. Well, you know, I used to think it was weird when I first moved up to Nashville to see somebody walking at night with a guitar on their back. And I thought, mm-hmm. are you a spirit? Oh, no, that's just they're coming from downtown. That's right. They, that's they right. were sitting on the corner playing. Never mind. Yeah. Predates predates Uber or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So our next one comes from Tyler and Tyler writes. I've kind of shared this on the page, but figured I would share more about it for Christmas. When I was growing up, I had my first paranormal account when I was nine. My parents built a new house in Ohio, and that's when it started. I never noticed it before. My encounter was one night. I woke up randomly in the middle of the night and decided to look at my bedroom window. When I did that, I saw this figure start forming standing at the top of the hill. When I noticed it was a Native American with a headdress. As I watched him forming, he spun around, looked up at me, so I hid and stood back up, and he was gone. I never really noticed anything after that, but just creaking, thinking it was the new house settling. Until I was a teenager, and I had two little brothers that I watched during the summer, and it always sounded like there was someone walking around in the house above us while we were in the basement. This went on for years, but it started escalating one night when my dad was gone. My brothers and I were in the back room watching a scary movie. Then we heard our garage door going from the house into the garage, just up and close. Hmm. We, we at first thought it was our mom, and then we asked her, and she thought it was us. So we checked the door, and there was no one there. A few weeks later... I was in the shower and felt a cold breath on the back of my head with no one there. A few nights later, I felt the same cold breath on the back of my head while I was lying in bed and felt someone sit on my bed, but no one was there. After that, I would feel that someone was in my room all the time and watching me. Years later, it seemed to have calmed down. But in the months before I moved to Texas, I came downstairs to get a drink and my mom called out of her bedroom and asked me if one of my brothers were home. And I said, no. Why? She proceeded to say that the garage door opened and then asked if I went out to the garage and I told her no. So I investigated and no one was there. I moved to Texas a few months later. I was alone in my apartment one night. Then my poster frame fell, and I felt a cold breeze go straight through my whole body. The nights later, I felt the same cold breath on the back of my head while I was in the shower. 
The only room I felt safe in was my bedroom. I woke up randomly in the middle of the night looking straight out into my hallway like there was something trying to get into my room but couldn't because it felt like someone who loved me was there protecting me from whoever it was trying to enter my room. So I called one of my friends who said she was kind of a medium. You're kind of a medium. So a small, a small, let's <laughs> go. <going? laughs> <laughs> she had me standing in the living room with my arms spread out and open my mind. She told me she was trying to rid all the spirits in my apartment. So after that, I never felt anything in my apartment until I got married and moved into a 100-year-old house, and the house felt unsettled. So we moved out of that house for that reason, and he says he doesn't feel it anymore. Hmm. So, so we know it's not attached to him then. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be. Um. So these may actually be two separate encounters. Tyler, you may just be sensitive enough to pick up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may not be uh, the, the one from Texas may not be affiliated with the one that you had um, when you were younger. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and spirit attachments usually aren't just like your typical run of the mill haunting. Um, you know, there's usually something else going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's not like uh, you see the ghost of a family member walking by, and then all of a sudden, you know that they're attached, and you you have experiences everywhere you go, and you can't right. escape it. Right. So I think these may be um, two separate things, but still probably cool. yeah, still cool nonetheless. I imagine it wasn't too cool when you were going through it. It probably freaked <laughs> you out a little bit, but right. Uh, we really do appreciate you sharing the story. Yep. And that made me think, um, cause he mentioned like the garage door opening mm-hmm. and our doors, our alarm system, um, we've got it set where it'll either make a beep when the door opens or the way we've got it set is to where it'll go garage door. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Is it, is it one uh, of those little talk? Yes. And, um, I like it because I'm thinking that way, if I'm upstairs and something happens, somebody comes in, mm-hmm. I can hear which door they came in and know where I've got to go to, you know, figure out who it is. But I was upstairs editing one day and I took the headphones off, was going to go take a bathroom break. And all of a sudden I hear garage door. And I went, Oh, crap. Mm. So like our previous, uh, one of our previous stories, I went to clear the house at that point. Mm -hmm. So I headed down the stairs and I'm looking from our steps to the garage door and it's open, you know, a good four or five inches and nothing. So I first go to that door and I, I check, see if anybody's in the garage. Well, there's not. So then I clear the downstairs, make sure nobody's hiding in closets or anything. And I couldn't figure it out. I thought maybe possibly the wind pushed it open. It didn't get closed well and pushed it open. Just enough to separate the sensor. Yeah. yeah but um, it, 
Like it wasn't really windy that day. And you remember, Matt, there was one time we were up here recording and Ashley was getting home and she texted me and said, Hey, you locked me out of the garage door. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I said, no, I didn't. She goes, well, it's locked. So I go down there and sure enough, the garage door is unlocked or the garage door is locked. I have to unlock it, but I don't know who locked that door. Yeah. Just like, I don't know who opened the door. Mm-hmm. Right, so it, it's weird. Like if I hadn't, I had the door locking thing, I would have just immediately thought wind, but because of the lock issue and then that now I'm wondering. Right. Yeah. So, but y- y'all's house isn't that old though, is it? No, no. It's about 16 years old, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So still, you know, we, we you know, story earlier, brand new house. Yep. Well, and who knows what's attached to me with some of the things, <laughs> Yeah. some right. of the things I've done and some of the things I've collected, who knows what's attached to me? Yeah. You need, you need to get rid of that damn coin. I do. I do. <laughs> I've got it sealed though. It's. Uh, it's been locked down, but it is sitting behind me. So, all right. So this next one comes from Detra and says, um, your local always moving army wife here. So when I started listening to you guys, we were at Fort Hood in Colleen, Texas. We lived in two houses on that post. The first, I pretty much lived in alone, me, two cats and a newfie. My husband left 12 weeks after we got married and 10 weeks after I got pregnant. I was put on bed rest really quickly. So my older children, um, would to stay with family as my husband was in South Korea on a nine month rotation. So I had noticed things moving, little sounds, cabinets opening. I didn't think much of it at first. Um, all, You know, after all, I do have animals and kittens are crazy. Well, about six months into my pregnancy, uh, things go, well, darker. A good friend of mine moved in with me to help me out uh, when I needed it. And she came, came running from her bedroom, which was at the opposite end of the hall from mine. Three bedrooms, split level home. Um, Says I ran on SK time because I had really nothing else to do anyway she was freaking out saying she saw this shadow walk into her room and into the closet so we cleansed the house and carried on about our lives things were okay for about a month and then i saw it it walked uh, i assumed down the hallway and into my room and out the back wall into the house that joined ours says cleansed again made a witch jar sealed the house says Fort Hood is known for being haunted. Um, A lot of murders and death have happened there for many, many years. Everything was fine until after my husband came back from South Korea when our son was three weeks old. I had come downstairs with the baby to get some coffee and fix breakfast. I saw my husband poke his head around the hallway doorframe by the stairs into the living room. I was like, hey, you need anything? He just pulled his head back and I heard footsteps go back up the stairs. When I came down like 10 minutes before, he was still asleep because of the time zone changes. About 30 minutes later, he comes down the stairs and asks me if I need any help. I'm like, you came down here already. No, no, he didn't. He was in the shower when I quote unquote saw him. 
shortly after we moved into a bigger house on Fort Hood, and from the start, there were issues. Seeing members of my family that had never come downstairs or who weren't home, my now 10-year-old being scratched and hearing someone calling his name, my now 12-year-old feeling someone tap him, uh, tap on him and hearing taps on the windows. There were no trees outside the windows. The worst thing I can think of, uh, my husband was in the field. He was like never home when we were at Hood, she says. And it was fall, so I had the windows open in the bedroom. There was a tree outside, a little way outside the window, and I like to hear the birds and whatnot out there. Well, that evening, it was really nice out, so I left it open, and I wished I didn't. I heard from the tree, the roof of my garage, what I would describe as a cougar scream when they can't find their young, but we didn't have those in the housing, and we didn't even have coyotes in that section that I lived in. Um, that house terrified me, and when we left, I don't think I uh, had ever been so happy. It says, Fort Bragg was next, and it was the usual bumps and moans and sounds from the empty house next door. Nothing serious for us, anyway. However, it says, I'm a practicing Norse pagan, and I also do spell jars for people if they need them. I lost count on how many baneful protection jars, protection candles, and little bags I made for people in the neighborhood. Now, now we are at Fort Campbell, and I came into the house like a wrecking ball. Um, it says, but there is something here, and that uh, something here that didn't like it, and the cabinets open on their own. My closet opens all the time. And the knob uh, off my altar room door broke off for literally no reason, as in I have to bend down and open it from the bottom because there is a gap between it and the floor. Now, my neighbor, the only one I talk to, she knows what I do and that if she needs help, doesn't matter what time to come over. She showed up not even a week ago because something had been scaring and touching her five-year-old daughter. When I said every military post, base, and ship, whatever is haunted, I'm not kidding. I know this won't seem like much to a lot of people, but I really find it crazy that four out of four houses we have had there, uh, we have had, there has been something. And if it was mild in our house, I had a neighbor who dealt with the worst things. They uh, dealt with the worst things they ever had in their lives. Yeah. So, I, man, I'm telling you, I love these uh, military stories because how could you not have some something there? You know, I, I've mentioned the paranormal sludge so many times. How mm -hmm. could you not have something like that from people who have been to war, seen right. what these people have seen, done what they've seen? They could be bringing back Lord knows what. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and you know you're you're right you're right over here in uh, my neck of the woods now at Fort Campbell. Yep. Um, you know, just went from I'm, mine to yours. Yeah, I'm about I'm about an hour from Clarksville, and I know that so well because my daughter goes to school up there. Yep. Um, I used to hang out up there. Uh, I had buddies in the military. I'd go drink on base up there. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know. But it is interesting that so many so many things that are associated with the, you know, the military are haunted. 
you know oh, we, yeah. we we just did we just did our haunted ship episode of uh a few weeks ago and you know all of those you know the, those those big ships those old ships you know they all have mm-hmm. weird experiences um and i'm with you i mean it's they're great stories it's just it's so odd that so many of these places are haunted and you know here you're looking at four out of four houses yep you know across different bases yep are, are all haunted uh, that's just that 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 seems impossible yeah it seems that way but but you know i i will say this Dietra. Because of of your background, and you know, you're you're you said you're a practicing Norse pagan. I'm I'm not I'm not saying that you're you're drawing it in, but you're going to be a lot more sensitive to it. That's than very true. Yeah. Somebody else. Yeah. So you you're probably picking up on some things that other people might not have, or because of your practice, you may be opening a, a line of communication where a spirit may believe, "Hey, I, I can, I might can communicate with with this one," mm-hmm. you know, um, as opposed to you know just you know somebody that's just an average person, you know, maybe even a skeptic or a non-believer. Yeah, um, they would think, you know, I. You know, I could do all kinds of stuff. They're not even noticing it. Like you know, push that, an air mattress around in circles and they right. would think it was normal behavior. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, you know, that that would indicate an intelligent haunting. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you may just you may just have that ability that a spirit says, I, I can communicate to this person and she's going to be aware of it. Right. That's a great story. And, Oh, it is. And Dietra, I have to say, I'm intrigued and kind of want one of your protection jars for my house. Me too. Me too. So uh, uh, I, so I thought that as soon us. as Adam read that. <laughs> yep, contact us and maybe we can work something out. We can buy one from you or buy one a piece from you or something like that. But uh, yeah, would love holler it. at us after this because I, I, I have looked for like sigils and stuff to do for protection of the house and all this and and started looking into the protection jars like that kind of reminds me of grigri bags from voodoo yeah you, well you just are you taking the and, words right out of my mouth <laughs> when wavelength here matt mm-hmm. but yeah i um and i'm very interested in one of those so uh, email us or something like that and let's talk about it now this one comes from uh, j dub which he indicates that's his twitter handle um and j dub says Okay, you guys were asking for spooky stories, and I do actually have one, although there's no real punchline or conclusion. It's just like the story goes, oh, okay, and then quits. (laughs) said, I had a friend years ago who had a bunch of issues with abandonment. She lived in an urban section of Arkansas, and her dad was kind of a, a baby daddy for multiple people. So she wasn't specifically singled out as a kid, to be abandoned, just one of many. A very typical story in in the urban environment. She never ex- she never accepted the fact that many people she knew were also fatherless. She felt very rejected and depressed as a result. 
So we used to talk a lot because she was really very accomplished in school, work, and very attractive. We didn't date, but still, that doesn't change the fact that lots of people wanted to date her, yet she felt very depressed, rejected, even ugly. He said it didn't really make sense. She had some eating disorders and other low-level self-harm issues, such as cutting when she was younger and sometimes burning herself with a curling iron. So we were walking one night and went to sit on this dock. It wasn't a dock on the bay. It was kind of a dock on the lake, which is still kind of rhymes if you try to squeeze it into the Otis Redding song. (laughs) It's like, I'm confident that one or both of you did it exactly because that's what I did when I when I wrote it. (laughs) So we're sitting there talking about old topics. We had gone over a bunch of times, um, dash her feelings of, of abandonment. It had nothing to do with her. He abandoned her before she was even born. The problem was with him, not her. There isn't anything she can do to win him over and swoop back into her life as this loving father. She was kind of, Uh, talking offhand and almost bored because we've had this conversation a million times and it wasn't really progressing anywhere just letting her vent then all of a sudden things got really weird it started out with her normal voice but using the third person like instead of I feel like I'm not worthy of anyone's love because I'm not worthy to be loved by my father it came out She is not worthy of anyone's love because her father doesn't love her either. Weird. At first, I kind of ignored it because maybe she was being silly or something else. But eventually this shift unnerved me because her voice was starting to sound more aggressive and gravelly. I said something like, why are you talking like that? Did you forget how to use personal pronouns and start smoking or something? (laughs) I was trying to use humor to diffuse what was becoming a little weird and also changed the direction of the conversation, which was getting very negative towards her, as well as sounding like it was someone else discussing her and using Sam Kinison's voice. Our younger listeners won't know who Sam Kinison is. Yeah, right. (laughs) She started muttering a bunch of stuff to herself, almost under her breath, as it was very insulting, like, you're just a dirty whore. Nobody loves you. You'll be better off dead. Your dad loves his other kids. I said, I wasn't even, it was like I wasn't even there. And she was ignoring my question and attempt to lighten the mood. Said, I grabbed her hands and kind of ducked my head down to look at her face because she was talking down, almost like she was just looking down into her lap. I looked up at her and was like, why are you saying stuff like this? You know, it's not true. All of your friends, your mom, and you know that you sound like you're trying to convince yourself, and why would you even do that? Then she did a straight-up Linda Blair-style head snap to look straight into my face with this crazy look and squeezing my hands like a lumberjack and said, because she needs to die. You can talk and pray for her all, all she wants, but she needs to die. The voice that said it wasn't so, was, wasn't so different like it was in Latin or backwards, but the eyes were completely different. The expression was different, and the voice sounded like a 60-year-old smoking man instead of a 23-year-old girl. Wow. Not sure whether I was more terrified by the voice, the fact that my hands were locked in as if, uh, 
she had she had a, a really strong grip um or a lifetime of horror movies my mom always told me not to watch uh movies like this and it was suddenly happening in front of my face huh. i'm neither a catholic priest nor a pentecostal i was raised methodist and I've settled in somewhere in the vaguely evangelical realm. So I didn't have anything pre-prepared in my repertoire to respond to something which looked for, you know, looked like a possessed person. Right. Yeah. I kind of just stared, just stared there while this angry face stared back and squeezed my hands and through clenched teeth said all kinds of horrible things about her and insulted me for trying to help. It's at some point, I guess, my concern for her, plus a deep well of movie lines in my long-term memory, kind of spread forward, and I got angry. I guess I just jumped the shark and began to view the situation as if someone completely separate trying to hurt my friend, and instead of getting scared, I was suddenly angry, not at her, but at this other thing. I don't remember what exactly I said, but it probably looked a whole lot like every scene with a priest in a crucifix yelling, the power of Christ compels you. But I yanked my hands out and put them on her head and started saying things like, you are a liar. You're lying about her and you're lying about who you are and you're lying that she needed to die. You're made of lies and you're going to stop. I'm not sure what I prayed, but I prayed something with a whole lot of Jesus probably some Holy Spirit and angels, and most likely with some Michael the Archangel thrown in, mostly due to the movie lines, since I'm not Catholic and I'm not super into angels. So it was more like a pop culture reference than a theological statement. She kept trying to speak in kind of an angry, growly voice, but I over-talked it and kept praying with my hands on her, on her head, actually um, thinking I might have been He said, actually, I think I might have been grabbing her hair. I kept saying, don't listen to this. It's lying. And then going back to praying. We probably went at this crazy little uh, scene for about 10 minutes. And thank goodness nobody had cell phone videos back then or it would have looked really insane. She then passed out completely, only held up by my hands on her head. So I laid her back and sat there wondering, praying what the heck happened and what I had gotten myself into. She stayed passed out for quite a while, maybe five minutes, um, but it felt like forever. I could tell she was breathing, but it felt like she was dead or something, and I was just sitting there in the darkness by the lake, stunned. Eventually, she sat up, you know, like, like you would have if you were taking a nap, and said, man, I'm a lot more tired than I thought. And... We should head back and got up like no big deal and walked home. At some point, as we got back towards the cars, I said, do you remember what happened back there? You said some really weird stuff, which was the understatement of the, of the century. But she <laughs> right. didn't, she didn't have any recollection of it. Said we had just gotten back to the car and she got into her car and said, thanks for the talk. She felt a lot better and she drove away. The next morning, a bunch of friends got together for breakfast and she showed up and everything was perfectly fine. The only weird thing is that she had two big burn marks on her neck, which she attributed to messing up with her curling while curling her hair 
but they were right in the front on each side, not like normal burns that you get, you know, when you're using a curling iron. So in my mind, I feel like it was a self-harm issue driven by either this thing or, or by some, you know, mental illness. Over the years, we lost touch, so I have no idea if she ever got diagnosed with bipolar or anything else Said uh, or connected with a good exorcist. But she's still living. I see her on Facebook now and again, and it, and it remains possibly the strangest thing to ever happen to me. Okay. So I think we, we all kind of have the same thoughts about this, and we've talked about demonic possession on this show. and. This is one of those topics that's very polarizing and you're you're going to find people that are that are even, you know, believers in the paranormal that when you start talking about demonic possession they'll go oh, no, 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 okay. No, let's back up a minute. Um it's just one of those things. It it's not an issue where you know, I've said before, look, if you're going to believe this then you got to believe in that too. Mhm. Uh-huh. It's not true with this, with demonic possession. I mean, that's just, some people just draw a hard line in the sand and say, okay, I can believe all this, but I cannot get behind this idea of demonic possession. You know, they, they, they want to play it off as mental illness or something. And not that there, there's not mental illness involved. Um, but my personal belief is that even underlying mental illness can make someone susceptible to demonic possession. Yep. And it it has nothing to do with you being a weak person or anything else. But when, when you're having a difficult time with yourself, then it leaves you vulnerable to someone or something else. Because there are people that can take advantage of someone with a mental illness um, and do much more horrible things than, you know, a demon would do. Right. But it just, it, it, it just kind of leaves you, you know, unprotected when, uh, when you're struggling with, with mental illness, even like I said, underlying. So, you know, if, if, I tend to believe that that's exactly what was going on here because it mm-hmm. just, it fits. And, you know, I, yeah, I've, she was I've seen dealing with depression. Things. Yeah. She was dealing with depression and that made her an easy target yeah. for something. Um, and I, I brought this up just the other day, um, talking to somebody and there was a psychologist several years ago that she got a few patients that were classified schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. They had schizophrenia and they had been through some other psychologists and they couldn't help. So she ended up with them and she realized that what they were saying sounded more like what she's heard in possession Mm-hmm. rather than mental illness. Mm-hmm. So instead of treating with medicine like she did or like the other psychologist did, she decided to take a more traditional 
theological stance with it and treat it that way. Um, communicating with the other entities, you know, trying to ban and most of them got better. Mm-hmm. So I think not saying like you that there is not mental illness, but I think sometimes some possessions or spirit attachments can be classified as a mental illness when it really isn't. Right. And where many years ago, our ancestors wouldn't have classified it as a mental illness. They would have classified it as a spiritual problem yeah. and dealt with that. Um, but I, I completely agree with you that those that are suffering from depression or anything uh, can become more susceptible to attachments. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Thank you for that story. That was, I don't know what I would have done if that had happened to me. So that's crazy. Um, this next one comes from Ryan. And Ryan says that uh, this story takes place in my very small hometown in rural Maine back in 2002. Says after a dreary, rainless, but overcast day spent trying to revive the scrap heap that I called my car, I finally threw in the towel and called it a day. At 8.30 p.m., it was almost full dark on that day in mid-July. Though my friend Ken and I were working most of the day on the car, we were still full of energy and rapidly growing bored. I guess being only 16 years old can do that to you. It was approaching 9 p.m. when we finished washing up and decided that because we didn't have wheels, we needed to find something to do locally. After some discussion, we eventually landed on the decision to go shoot some hoops at our local high school. There was a single hoop in the student parking lot and the ground, the grounds of the school stayed lit by lights until a timer shut them off at midnight. So I grabbed my basketball and headed out on foot. Now, there are two ways to get to the high school from my house. One is the road, which is lit at night, but takes considerable time to traverse on foot. The other is a trail through the woods known locally as the tracks. The tracks are a wide trail through the woods that used to be a railroad bed that had been decommissioned in the past. Once the actual tracks had been removed, the citizens of the various towns in the area maintained the corridor as an ATV snowmobile trail. This trail ran right by the high school and uh, to points beyond. Naturally, we took the tracks as a shortcut. We had walked that trail countless times to and from school prior to having our driver's license. So even though the cloud cover overhead combined with a new moon meant it would be dark along the trail we were confident about taking that route we didn't even bother to take flashlights with us now shortly after leaving my house we headed down the tracks about a hundred yards from the well-lit road the woods on either side of the trail rose up and seemed to swallow us like some ancient leafy leviathan the lights from the town dwindled behind us as we rounded a short bend in the trail and it grew darker than the inside of a coffin. Unfazed, we continued down the trail, two intrepid teenagers out to crush our boredom. Now, just to jump in here, I like his um, writing style. I know. <laughs> I, I The descriptors, very, I love. Very colorful. Yep, the adjectives and, and I love it. Now, 
says, once we got a few hundred feet further down the trail, both Ken and I became aware of an incredible hush that had descended upon the woods that we had traversed. Though it was midsummer and we had a dense forest to our left and a thick line of trees bordering a large field to our right, there were no, uh, no night sounds. The night birds weren't singing, no frogs sang their love songs, and even the crickets were mum. The only sound waves that seemed to reach our ears was the crunch of our sneakered feet on the gravelly trail. Ken turned to me and said, Dude, why is it so quiet out here? I shrugged and replied, I don't know, man. It's kind of weird, though. Do you feel like something's watching us? Ken's exasperated <laughs> reply came as a hoarse whisper. Well, I do now. <laughs> That's right. Yep. That would have been my response, too. Um, it says, we continued to walk down the trail, and a few moments later, we both saw two reddish-orange uh, points of light appear in the deep gloom far ahead of us. As we walked, the light seemed to be rapidly approaching and bobbing up and down slightly, yet simultaneously. I remarked to Ken that it must be the headlights way down the tracks, and he agreed. But within the next minute or so, I realized that the unnatural stillness and silence of the night all around us was not broken by the sound of an engine or tires on gravel. Nevertheless, the lights were rapidly approaching us. As these two orbs of ruddy light drew within 50 yards or so of us, I recognized what I was seeing as eyes. Though it seemed to be pitch black where we were, we could at this point make out the lighter color of the trail ahead of us. Moving toward us was something that seemed darker than the blackness of the night all around us, and it was big. The only discernible thing about this thing on the trail was those two large glowing red eyes. At this point, both Ken and I stood frozen on the trail, just staring at this unknown thing quickly approaching. When it was perhaps within a hundred feet of us, it slowed, and as it did, its eyes closed and the thing vanished. Ken whispered to me, What the bleep was that? Before I could reply, I could feel something standing right behind me. My nose was assaulted with a scent of rotten eggs, and I felt a hot, fetid breath on the back of my neck. I bolted like a spooked deer. After about twenty yards or so, I became aware of Ken running beside me, and a high-pitched keening sound rose from behind us. Heart thundering in my chest, my fight-or-flight meter pegged to the red line on the flight side. I juked to the right and crashed through around 50 feet of scrub pines and trees to erupt into the large field of high grass that led up to the school. Ken had followed my lead, and we ran for the lights of the school at speeds that would have had us qualified for the Olympics. Upon arrival at the school parking lot, both Ken and I collapsed under the street lamps. Whatever had been back there on the tracks had not seemed to pursue us into the field, and indeed the night sounds had seemed to return. It was as if a blanket of silence had been pulled off the world and reality reasserted itself. Now you would think that the story ends there. You would be wrong. After a few minutes of catching our breath and generally collecting ourselves, I was astonished to find that Ken still had the basketball, which is probably why he had uh, he was behind me most of the way to the school. Ken was our running back on the football team and usually faster on foot than everyone we knew. At this point, he and I began to discuss the event. Our supposition ranged from aliens to Bigfoot and finally settled onto some sort of demon. 
as we discussed this, we shot a few hoops, but didn't really play much basketball. We had just gotten probably the, the best cardio exercise of our lives, and we didn't really have the energy for more. About 20 minutes or so after our arrival, I noticed out of the corner of my eye movement over by the school about 100 yards away. The world seemed to fall back into that eerie silence again as I glanced over toward the building, but I didn't see anything. Ken saw my look and stopped talking, then also looked toward the school. I think we need to go, man, I said in a shaky voice. Yeah, dude, came Ken's equally quavering reply. Without saying anything else, we both headed toward the well-lit road. We consciously stayed toward the outer edge of the student parking lot under the street lamps and made our way into the staff parking lot, all the while keeping our eyes on the large building to our left that seemed to loom there in the night. At about the halfway point of the staff parking lot, something seemed to coalesce in the shadows on the left-hand side of the school's front courtyard. It looked to be around eight feet tall, and it was inky black. It was so black that when it skittered across the courtyard from left to right, it cast no shadow from the solitary lamp uh, there and even seemed as if it absorbed the light. This thing was humanoid in shape, but seemed to be made of all hard angles and lines with strange spiky protrusions at the joints, and it was fast. Its head was shaped like a backward-sloping triangle that ended in a wicked spiked horn or possibly horns of some kind. The otherworldly darkness of the thing seemed to make it look 2D as the absence of reflective light nulled any contours in its shape. Upon reaching the right side of the courtyard, the thing seemed to melt into deep shadows there and disappear. It was at that precise moment that every street lamp on the school property went out. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that these lights were on a timer, and it was still very well before midnight when they should have gone out. Suddenly, plunged into darkness, both Ken and I froze. Glancing around, we found the lights on the road were not out, and in the dim light of those distant fluorescent bulbs, we began to run again. Rising from the direction of the school, we heard that same high-pitched keening sound from earlier. I glanced back once as I began to sprint for the road. All I saw coming from the direction of the school was something large and black with menacing red eyes. I heard Ken heave the basketball behind him, and we raced for the road. This time, Ken passed me, and I ran for the road repeating, Crap! 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 <laughs> Except I was saying the other dirtier version. Yep, same. Um, as we neared the road with its wonderful promise of light and escape, the shrill keening behind us intensified into a sort of blood-curdling scream that sounded like it came from a chorus of demonic children making a death metal album in hell. This continued until our feet touched the road, whereupon the noise, which had seemed right behind us, abruptly ceased. The lights of the school seemed to flick back on instantaneously, which should have been impossible as those lights take a moment to warm up. The sound of crickets and frogs returned, and we could hear the hum of an engine approaching from our left. A moment later, headlights appeared from that direction, and a truck came around the bend. Luckily for Ken and I, we lived in a small, tight-knit community, and the man coming down the road in the truck was someone we both knew. He pulled over and asked us if we wanted to ride back to my place, and we climbed into the bed of his truck and left. 
Before we rounded the bend in the road, the lights of the school flicked once more, and in the brief moment, standing at the edge of the field, I saw two glowing, sooty red eyes. Needless to say, that was the last time I ever walked the tracks or played ball at the school at night. Holy balls, man. Man, that is... That, now, I, I will t- I'll say this. While while you're reading that story, and I'm I'm visualizing it in my head, I'm going, this sounds like a story that is being told from a perspective of I'm I'm thinking back and remembering the emotions and you know what everything that I was sensing and feeling at the time and that's where you can really find the validity to these stories. Yep. Yep. You know, that's what I was thinking. It's it. He's remembering this. He's not making it up. Right. You can tell by the way he's describing things. He's not making it up. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I mean, I've, I've known some really great storytellers. You can always tell when they're relating a story that they've conjured up mm-hmm. or they're telling you something that they recall. Um, I I don't I don't have anywhere this would have this would have probably freaked me out I would I would have been I'd have been dead meat if <laughs> yeah I'd have been dropping turds the whole way I was running yeah. just like ah oh, what but that's a the, great story though it is the 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 one thing that I picked up on at first was the what I hear a lot of people call the Oz effect where all sound goes quiet except for whatever paranormal entity is there. So it's like uh, and some of these stronger paranormal entities or, or whatever, they have a way of blocking out all external stimuli. Mm-hmm. Some people say it happens with Bigfoot that all animals go quiet around Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it ends up being more of the Oz effect yeah. than just the animals going, oh, crap, I got to be quiet. They It just blocks out the noise from you because all maybe it's all your senses can handle are that paranormal event. Yeah. You can't pick up on anything else. Um, the other thing was he talked about it looked 2D because of the depth of the blackness of that creature. Now, that reminded me of that phantom black that they've made now uh-huh. that you can paint something and it looks 2d because it absorbs every bit of light yeah so i understand that i've seen that happen with that paint mm-hmm. a 3d object looks 2d because it nothing reflects off of it yeah um but dude that is crazy and I man, I'm so glad you sent that story in. That yeah. is wild. Yeah, and and just real briefly, my my thought on this silence, and you you mentioned Bigfoot uh, with that too, and, and you know if you're thinking that Bigfoot is an interdimensional type being, that's potentially what was happening here. Is that mm-hmm. you're you're actually seeing through a division in in a dimension that may be identical, but in that that's true, yes. that dimension yeah. it's silent. The lights aren't on, 
and you're you're kind of you're not passing through you're kind of rubbing up against yeah you're you're at that thin line where you can see both sides that makes sense that would that would make sense why all external stimuli would stop if you're uh gazing into another universe or your head is poked into another you know like putting a bucket on your head or something and and it's not a it's not a situation where it it's a hard line it's it's movable mm-hmm. and so yeah. if if you can picture in your mind's eye this a much larger shadow that would consist of like another dimension just moving back and forth and as right. you move you move in and out of it if you play Fortnite, it's like you're moving in and out of the storm. Okay. The storm is growing or, or, or changing and you're right on the cusp. So you can see in it, but you're out of it and then you're in it and you're out and you're in and you're out. And so when you're in it, you're experiencing what's going on in that dimension. And when you, when you take that one or two steps away, you're back out in reality and things seem normal, but you can still kind of look into that other dimension mm-hmm. i know we're we're, what if, we're getting into something that we could probably talk about for hours um right when it comes to this but i i think that's that's how i portray this particular story right and one thing before we move on what if these entities actually bring that portal with them yeah like they are able to move that portal with them. So the closer you are to that entity, the further in their dimension you are. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a radar beam that goes out a certain distance from them. And you're fine until you get within that radius. Yeah. Whew. Pretty, pretty creepy there. That one's going to haunt me tonight. Yeah. So thanks uh-huh. for that, Ryan. Yeah. The whole time you're reading it, I'm hearing all kinds of crap going on around me. It's. Oh, I know. I, I'm looking out the door here and it's pitch black out there. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I got blackness outside this bedroom that's all lit up. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, our next story comes from Jake. And Jake writes, this is a true story and something I find myself often reflecting on. This took place in May of 2018. The day of this experience was a stormy one. A heavy rainstorm had rolled in and the drops were heavy and the thunder was loud. I'll not soon forget that spring day. During this time of my life, I worked for a construction company. The site I had worked on was a building of low-income apartments. The workday had ended, and because of the nasty weather, condi- nasty weather conditions, everyone at the site had left in a hurry. Unfortunately for me, I had locked my keys in my car, so I was stranded in the storm. Combined with my car, the weather... And the fatigue of working a full day, one can say I was fed up and in a foul mood. Thankfully, I was able to contact my father-in-law for a ride home, but he told me that he was going to be at least a half an hour. So in the meantime, while I waited for my father-in-law, I decided to hunker down in the breezeway of one of the apartment buildings to escape the storm. I chose one that was close to being finished for maximum coverage. I don't know why, but there was something unsettling about wandering around a deserted, nearly completed apartment complex. Yeah, it would be creepy. Yeah. Even though there was populated civilization all around the site, 
It felt as though I was in my own little bubble of reality. I made it to the sheltered breezeway, and I sat down on the stairs that led up to the other four stories of the apartment building. I sat there for a couple of minutes, enjoying the sound of the storm that was thundering outside. Even though I was sopping wet and stranded for the time being, the calming storm made all my worries go away. But that peaceful feeling didn't last long, as without warning, I sat there and began to feel as though I wasn't alone anymore. It was an extremely uncomfortable feeling, like my personal bubble was being invaded. The following series of events happened over a few seconds. I tried to ignore the unsettling feeling, but that's when I heard it. A whispered voice from behind me saying, Hey. The voice was quick and clear. The whisper seemed to overpower the sound of the storm, like the whisper was loud, but it wasn't loud. It was as if the storm became quiet for a second, so I could hear the voice. Instantly, my back was electrified. The same feeling I get when I rub my socks on the carpet and I get charged up with static. Then the next sensation came. Heat. Even though the temperature outside was cool and I was wet, my body began to heat up extremely. It was uncomfortable to say the least. My mind tried to rationalize what I had heard. I told myself it was the wind or maybe a bird up near the top of the stairwell. But as soon as those thoughts entered my mind, however, I heard another whisper. It was the same voice, but this time it seemed closer and louder, like a whispered yell. Hey! I lost it and jumped up, running out into the rain. I turned and looked back into the breezeway and saw nothing. My whole body was electrified now, full of adrenaline and fear. I stood like a fool getting soaked out in the storm for at least a minute. My focus was upon the breezeway, like my senses were seeing something my eyes couldn't. After that electrified feeling left me and I had gained my composure, I cautiously went back into the breezeway. Even in that moment, I was desperately trying to rationalize what had just happened. Perhaps it could have been one of my coworkers hiding in one of the apartments messing with me. A homeless tweaker trying to scare me off so they can make their score. A very strange bird, maybe. Once I sat back down, I knew I was being watched. The feeling was unshakable, and somehow I knew exactly where whatever was watching me was hiding. At the top floor, there was an attic access door. It was unmistakable. I knew something was up there. So I swiftly made my way up the stairs. Remember when I said I was fed up? Well, now I was pissed and I wasn't thinking straight. In all reality, I should have run away, but I was overcome with anger. I still can't explain what made me feel this way. I wanted to confront whatever was messing with me. But once I reached the third floor, my attitude changed rapidly. With every step I took, my anger transformed, transformed more and more into fear. And as I reached the top floor, my heart was beating fast. I stood there just looking at the attic access for a long time, like I was in a fear trance. Finally, I snapped myself out of the trance and I ran down to the ground level. I swear I skipped steps on my way down. I decided that whatever was watching me 
was either messing with me or didn't want me around. I moved to another breezeway and waited there until my father-in-law arrived. I am so happy I didn't open that attic access, but I am also curious. What would have happened if I had opened it? What would I have found? Perhaps it's best to let sleeping beasts alone. Said, uh, thanks, Adam and Matt, for such good shows. Love you guys. Happy holidays. Yeah, you did good leaving that alone. Yeah, uh, it's a, that's a that's a really interesting story, Jake. Um, yeah, I think you made the right call. Um, Show enough. And there, you know, the truth is, is there's no telling what it was. And, you know, Adam, Adam has always said this, that the, uh, that, that, that the ghosts aren't as scary as a living person, you know, mm-hmm. being somewhere. And, and that could have potentially been what was going on. Um, oh, yeah. you know, you got, you know, somebody, uh, you know, a, a transient, some, you know, a, a homeless person, you know, looking for shelter from the storm and they managed to crawl in there, or maybe they were kind of making that place a temporary residence until it was finished. Um, but either way, it was probably for the best that you didn't open that, that, that attic access door. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Thank you for that story. All right, guys, let's take a minute and talk about one of our long-term sponsors, HelloFresh. Now, if you've listened to the show, you you've already you already know what HelloFresh is, but if you're new, HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that allows you to skip trips to the grocery store and it makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Now, we're in the middle of the holidays here. You know, the new year is a great time to focus on what's most important to you, whether it's saving money by eating out less, uh, if you want to learn to cook, or if you're thinking about trying to eat a little healthier, HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. That's right. Uh, like like we've said before, our kids love doing the HelloFresh because it's easy for them to do. We don't have to hover over them and make sure they're getting the right amount of salt and the right amount of this sauce and all that. They It's pre-portioned ingredients so they can just mix it together and do it themselves. And it makes them feel a little better about the, the meal because they've eaten it. I know Michael loves doing that and I know you've said your kids do too. Mm-hmm, they sure do. And HelloFresh cuts back on time spent in the kitchen. So you can spend it on other New Year's resolutions. Um, and with meals ready in around 30 minutes or less, it gives you the time to do that. Plus, quick and easy meals, including the 20-minute recipes and low prep and easy cleanup options, provide an even faster route to putting food on the table. And also, don't forget dessert. You can satisfy your sweet tooth with seasonal, limited-time goodies like Dunkaroo's Cookie Dough or Vanilla Delight Cheesecake. Do you remember Dunkaroo's, Matt? I love Dunkaroo's. Oh, yeah. It's cool they got Dunkaroo's Cookie Dough now. I I remember Dunkaroo's, like, they were for younger kids. I'm too old. (laughs) They came out after I was beyond that. I remember them well. 
you could have still eaten them. I st- if I find them around, I'll eat them myself now. But it, better than doing that, just get the HelloFresh Dunkaroos cookie dough. So if you're ready to do something new for the new year, then you can go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16 and use code Graveyard16. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's great. Like Matt said, go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16 and use our code Graveyard16, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. All right. So the next one we got is kind of a short one, but it's from Stephanie. Says, hello, I wanted to relay this story to you as it was told to me by my father who witnessed the events that I'm about to describe. In the early 70s, my grandfather asked my dad to take him to the hospital to visit a man known around the area as Dancing Jimmy. This man had spent his whole life as someone who would be hired by different people in the area to sing, dance, and play the fiddle for events. My dad had heard of the man, but my grandfather had grown up with him and thought of him more as a friend than just an acquaintance. My grandfather had been told this man was very sick and would probably not make it much longer, so he wanted to see him one last time. My father said when they arrived at the hospital, they asked for directions to the gentleman's room and were directed down a long hospital hallway. They knocked on the door and did not get an answer, so they proceeded to go in and found Dancing Jimmy asleep, but his legs were moving back and forth in the bed, and he was mumbling something incoherent. My grandfather and dad thought he was having a bad dream, and my grandfather reached out to touch him to wake him up. When this happened, the man's eyes opened wide, and he grabbed my grandfather's arm and screamed, The flames are hot! The fire, make it go away. The flames are hot, so very hot. He let go of my grandfather's arm and looked back and forth between my grandfather and my father and said, the flames, they are all around me. The fire is consuming me. It's so very hot. My dad went to the door to call for a nurse and he heard the man make one last scream about fire and died says, I get goosebumps every time I think about this story. My grandfather and dad witnessed something that day that was truly out of this world. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I there's all kinds of these, you know, close to death, near death experiences um, where, where people have this imagery of what they term as heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that's immediately what most people would think of. Um, I don't know. A lot of it depends on your own personal belief and theology, but, um, right. you know, and it, and it could have just been, it could have just been a reaction, you know, as he's, as his body is, is shutting down. Um, yep. you know, but that's, that's really, uh, what, what kills me is at the end when it says, and he just, he screamed and he died. Yeah. And you're standing there. You know, it's like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, that's like, how do you, how do you react to that? I don't know. I would react poorly. I'm afraid. Yeah. (laughs) Same. 
All right. So uh, this story comes to us from Janine. And Janine says, I have a personal paranormal story for you. My best friend and I were enjoying our dream trip to Egypt right before COVID-19 blew up. We ended up having to cut it a couple of days short due to the pandemic, but it was still amazing. During our tour, the guide let us know that they had opened up the step pyramid of, I've not heard this one, Dozier? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you know it. Okay. Uh, For the first time in many years and asked us if we wanted to go inside. And of course, we were like, of course we do. We ended up going into the pyramid on Friday the 13th of March 2020. Wow. This particular pyramid is not at the pyramid complex of Giza, but out in Memphis. And we were basically the only people there. If you've never... That would be cool. Yeah, if you've never been inside of a pyramid, well, let me tell you, it's dark hot and claustrophobic due to this reason about half of our tour of 15 did not want to go inside keep in mind cairo had experienced record rainfall and flooding so the power was out everywhere we basically only had our cell phones to use as flashlights well we were all in there and we're looking at cool stuff on the walls and taking in the creep factor and I feel like someone's looking over my shoulder. And it also felt like there were people crowding all around me. I look up and there's no one there. I wasn't scared necessarily, but I got a serious case of the nopes and had to get out of the pyramid. <laughs> so not long after I left, my bestie came out, walked over to me and said, were there a lot of people in there? I replied, yes, but not people, right? She agreed and said that she had been walking around while looking down at her phone and felt a hand that grabbed her elbow and steered her around a big stone column so that she didn't run into it. She turned around to thank her tour mate, but no one was there. We both sat and digested that tidbit of knowledge for a bit, and we decided that whatever spirits were down there were just super stimulated by the new recent activity. Also, if you think about it, the ancient Egyptians were brilliant people, and they were probably and they probably wanted to know what the heck we were doing, what we were looking at when we were using our glowing stone tablets. Yeah, right. They probably hadn't seen them before and were really curious about them. I can see ancient Egyptians wholly embracing cell phone culture. Yep. Well, modern Egyptians do, so I don't know. <laughs> ancient ones would be any different. Um, right. So we're still not sure what it was, but there was definitely something in that pyramid, but it was super polite, curious, and helpful. Said, uh, I hope you enjoyed this and thanks for doing what you're doing. That that's that's one of those really cool experiences that you know, you just you you tell your grandkids about. Yeah. Now, I mean, not just the fact that you got to go inside this pyramid, which is phenomenal, a once in a lifetime deal. But then to have an event like that happen on top of it, how cool. Yeah. And it's a place I would assume would be haunted. Oh, yeah. If you're going to have spirits, <laughs> it'd be Egypt. You no. Know, you're, you're essentially going into somebody's tomb, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. All right. So the next one we got is from Trace. Hey, guys. I wanted to submit a story for your Christmas 2021 episode. 
Now, this may interest you as it deals with two experiences in my home, both relating to topics you've covered in the past, ghost spirits and doppelgangers. Now, I have to start with a bit of context, uh, which will be helpful later. We built our home about 15 years ago. It's now part of a sprawling neighborhood, but used to be a large farm. With our home's design, the master bedroom is on its own landing with the first level beneath it and the upper level above it. The only staircase ascends directly past the front of our master bedroom door. You can't go up or down the stairs without passing in front of our bedroom. Now for the story. About six years ago, my son woke up around 2 a.m. He came into my bedroom, woke me, and said, there's a boy in my room. I sat up immediately, fighting off sleep, and went up to his room. He stayed in the hallway, refusing to follow me. I finally coaxed him inside the room, and he explained that he had seen a boy sitting in the corner of his room behind the rocking chair. He said the boy was looking at him. I checked behind the chair, and there was nothing there. My son finally walks up behind me and looks for himself. We then checked under the bed, in the closet, and all the other areas he was concerned about. The room is illuminated by a nightlight, which is plugged into the outlet right next to a three-foot-tall Darth Vader figure. I told my son that I think what he saw was the shadow of Darth Vader cast on the wall, which was created by the nightlight. He shook his head and said, no, shadows are black. Well, I asked, well, what color was this boy? He was white, he said. He looked like me, but he didn't have a face. That freaked me the hell out, and my son ended up sleeping in our bed because there was no way I could avoid or I could convince him to stay in his bedroom. He talked about it for the next few days, but then it faded from memory. He never saw it again, as far as I know. A few years later, I was sitting in my bed watching TV. We had just tucked my son and daughter into bed for the night, and my wife was asleep. I had been watching TV for about an hour when my daughter came down the stairs, stuck her head into our bedroom, and stared at me for about five seconds. I stared back, and then she continued down the steps. I figured she was getting a drink of water, which she often did, and I waited for her to come back up the steps, as I was going to tell her it was late and she needed to get to sleep. It was a school night. A few minutes go by, and she never came back upstairs. A moment later, my son comes down the stairs, stops in front of my bedroom, and tells me he's getting a glass of water. I told him to tell his sister to hurry up in the kitchen and for both of them to get to bed. He comes back a minute later and says his sister is not down there. I walk, walk him up the stairs to his bedroom, look into my daughter's room, and she's fast asleep in her bed. I have no idea what stuck its head into my room that night, but it looked exactly like my daughter. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but the fact that she didn't say anything to me when she looked in freaked me out. She usually would have said something about getting water or being up, but she was completely silent. So that's all I got for you. It's worth noting that my son's experience unnerved me so much that I ended up writing a novel about it, The White Boy. That's weird. It is weird. Um, doppelgangers. Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, you remember back... Um, a while back, I was telling a story about my dad seeing my mom come into the living room mm -hmm. and check on him at night, not say anything, 
Um, yep. But then when he would call out to her or would go into the kitchen where she would have been, she wasn't there. And she doesn't recall getting up and he would go back and she would be in bed asleep, which, you know, mm-hmm. most people, you wake up, you go to the bathroom, you get a drink, whatever, you go back to bed. It takes you a few minutes to get fully asleep again. Yeah. So if within a few minutes, somebody else stirred or, or came in there, you, you wouldn't be just super sound asleep. And of course she was. So what I'm getting at, You'd probably look at him. What I'm getting at is it, it may not have been a doppelganger. It may have actually been her projecting. And yeah. so she's essentially projecting through something that would be a normal behavior for her. Um, Maybe she was dreaming yeah. that she was going to, down to get water. And instead of dreaming, she projected herself. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know it 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 it, it sounds far fetched, but Adam and I have heard a lot of stories similar to this. Um, that's kind of what I think as far as far as that goes. But I think you're probably right. Um, the the but the boy uh, aspect of this, I, I'm not so sure. Um, that that sounds more like potentially a haunting. Um, yeah. you know, may, maybe, you know, a, a child lived in that, in that house before, um, you know, it's worth maybe checking into if you're interested or if it happens again, now, obviously you probably did if you wound up writing a novel about it. Um, yeah. but uh, it's a really cool story nonetheless. Um, yep. and, and I love stories where entire families are experiencing this, um, because it, it's it's a lot easier to convey the reality of something like this when you have other witnesses that can corroborate what happened. And that just proves my point that kids are creepy. <laughs> proves it right there. They sure can be, I tell you that. All right, moving right along. Uh, this one comes from Ricky, and uh, it goes like this. I've been living in this two-bedroom duplex with my parents since 2008, and nothing paranormal has ever happened, just the occasional sleep paralysis. But one night on St. Patrick's Day, 2013, around 7 p.m., my mom said she needed a ride to Walmart to do some shopping. So I told her that uh, I would wait in the car uh, while she got ready. My car is parked on the street. And as I get out of the house and turn the direction of the driveway, I can see what looks to be a black mass, almost in the shape and size of a bear with dim red eyes, just looking in my direction. I look at it for a couple seconds and I tell myself, holy crap, that's not a dog. So I looked away from it. And once I looked back, it was gone. I got really scared and I even let out a small whimper said, I go to where the thing was standing and I'm looking around, maybe thinking that it was just a stray dog, but I can't find anything. So on the car ride to Walmart, I start shaking to the point that I felt like I was having a panic attack. I had to lie to my mom and tell her that I just had too much coffee so I wouldn't freak her out. Now, fast forward to last year, I had my stepsister and her family pay us a visit 
and her youngest son, who's around 10, claims that he can sense spirits, and his mom supports his claim. So I asked him about my experience and what I saw outside that night. His quick response was that someone nearby was using black magic, and that's why the thing appeared, and suddenly everything clicked. Our neighbor in the duplex is the mom of our landlord, and she has a very mean attitude and is basically a Latino version of a Karen. (laughs) Okay. Said, but she also deals with black magic from time to time. A good example of this is one time she gifted my mom a vase. My mom kept the vase in the kitchen for a while, and all of a sudden, a lot of flies started appearing out of nowhere. We always kept the windows and doors shut, so there was no way those flies could get in. Now, my mom can't stand flies, and she will go crazy if she sees any inside the house. Same. Yep. A couple minutes after that, she decides to throw out the vase, and when she did, the flies just disappeared. So she and I discussed how it was possible that our neighbor had put some magic on the vase to cause the flies to appear. So that's my story. Even though I got really scared that night, part of me thinks that it was really cool that I got to experience something paranormal because not a lot of people go through something like that. And you're, you're right. That's true. Um, you're right about that, Ricky. Um, it, it is kind of cool that you got to experience it. I'm glad that it wasn't anything um, more malevolent than what you experienced. Um, you know, there are uh, practitioners of black magic. I mean, it's it's not just something that you read about. Yeah, you know, and there's objects that they can do something to put a spell on something, not necessarily a curse, right? But put something on it that would cause weird things to happen to the the one who possessed yeah. it. So, to me, it, it it's as logical as paranormal things can be. It's logical that 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 could be the case. Yeah, and and it sounds like maybe she, uh, if this is how this played out, she wasn't necessarily trying to harm you. Um, she was just uh, trying to annoy you. You yep. know. Um. You know, give 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 you something else to have to be bothered by. Right. Thanks for that story, Ricky. I, that's that's great. Yep. Thank you. Um, all right. So this next one comes from Dean, our friend over at the Family Plot Podcast. It says in the early two thousands, I was traveling the country doing stand up comedy. I was doing a show in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, the show at the time was at a British restaurant and grill. And at uh, at the time, I sold T-shirts as well as CDs. So when the show was over, I was loading my unsold merch. Not that I hadn't sold any, but rather I hadn't sold at all into the trunk of my car when I went uh, when I went all cold inside. Partially, I just really wanted to get back to the hotel to enjoy some herbal stimulation and a late night pizza. Uh, but it should be noted that I did not drink or smoke anything stronger than tobacco at my shows. 
I shut the trunk just as I heard a voice say, Hey, mister. Turning around, I saw a boy of about 13 accompanied by a boy of about eight or so. I believe it was the older one who had spoken. I was beyond scared, and at the time, I had no idea why. The older one continued on saying that they had just gotten out of the movies and they needed a ride home. I began to make my way toward the driver's door and told the boy that I was from out of town and I didn't know the area. That's when a younger one told me they didn't live far, in quotes. That's when I noticed their eyes, solid black, black as the night sky. I apologized and leapt into my driver's seat. Part of me wanted to open the door and let them in, but I pushed it down as the other boy came to my passenger side window and told me I had to let them in. I apologized again, repeated that I didn't know the area and that they should see if anyone at the restaurant could give them a ride home. I backed out of the space, turned toward the street, and saw no sign of them. They had just vanished. It was a couple years later when I heard uh, of the black-eyed kid phenomena. To this day, I still try to come up with a rational explanation for that night. Yeah. So, Dean, I, I bet you it was. Yeah. That's what you what you saw. And and so, I, I'll just say this. I I have kids. I have young kids. They're not going to be out by themselves at nope. those ages. And nope. they sure as heck know they're not going to approach a stranger for a ride. Right. So now, I was say, nowadays, my, my 10 year old, <laughs> not going to be out there. Nowadays, if you've got young children asking you for a ride, be wary. <laughs> it's just, yeah. even if their eyes are not all black, right. say no. It, it is not something that happens in the, in, in society now. I mean, it's just what's not. the Star Wars quote? It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> In one way or another, it's a trap. That that always cracks me up because uh, you remember the uh, the Barack Obama poster that said it said hope, and it was kind of that weird mix of of, of yeah. red and blue. You know, almost yeah, like what kind of like a Warhol. Yeah, yeah, and it just said yeah. hope at the bottom. There for a while, there was a run of of mock-ups that, uh, you know, essentially memes like this. And there was one that was Admiral Akbar, and it just says, trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've got a t-shirt that uh, that is actually, uh, it has that poster on it, but it's, um, uh, it's uh, from the Big Lebowski. And it's just oh, yeah. the dude yep. at the bottom. It just says, abide. <laughs> nice. I've got a big Lebowski t-shirt, and it's Jeff Bridges, and it says, the dude abides. Yeah. yeah. So. That's great. But, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, you don't, don't want to give kids. Don't want to give kids a ride nowadays. No. So, Dean, good call on that, and thanks for sending that in. So, our next story comes from Ronnie, and Ronnie says, I wanted to tell you guys about some of the spooky stuff that happened to me and my brother in our very own haunted house growing up. Now, these events happened throughout our childhood, starting with me when I was a baby. My mom was giving me a bath in the bathtub, and she noticed that I kept laughing and tilting my head, 
trying to look behind her. Eventually, she turned around to see a shampoo bottle sitting on the counter, tilting back and forth for no reason. Fast hmm. forward about 10 years, my brother, my brother Sean and I were talking to my dad and in, his, in his sleep. He would sleep talk, and we thought it was super funny. My mom told us <laughs> to let him sleep in peace, so we both went to my room on the other side of the house. Sean sat on my bed, and I sh- sat on my nightstand, and I sat on my nightstand. While we were talking, we heard an old man's raspy voice say, Sean, in the middle of the room. We both looked in the direction of the voice, and Sean said, Did you hear that? And I could only shake my head. Yes, I was so scared. After that last experience, my mom told us, If you ever feel uncomfortable or scared again, say, Devil, get out of my house. This is not your house. Around a month later, Sean and I went to the backyard on a sunny summer day. Sean went out the door first while I poured a glass of pop, and then I followed. I shut the door behind me and walked just outside the breezeway when I heard the back door start to slowly open, which freaked me out because I literally just shut it and there was no one else home. So I turned around to see the door slowly open fully. At that point, I remembered what my mom told me. So I yelled, devil, get out of my house. And then the door slammed shut. Totally could have been the wind, but the timing was crazy if it was. Everything was quiet for a while after that, except little things like doors opening and closing by themselves things going missing, then showing back up in the same spot months later, and the radio turning on by itself. The last experience I had in the house was when I was 18. I was combing my hair in the mirror before school when I heard a knock on the mirror. I took a step back looking at the mirror when I heard something yell in my ear. It scared the hell out of me. I said, that's just about everything that's happened to me. My My parents still lived there and experienced weird things here and there. I tried to look up the history of the house, but turns out it was built in 1943 and moved to its current location in 1975. That's Hmm. pretty weird. Um, That is weird. It would would become difficult if if an actual house had been moved to to locate some legitimate history. Um, you'd, you'd have to know exactly where it was and, um, that may, that may be problematic, but it definitely sounds like something is there. Um, yeah, it and, does. It, and it may, it, does. it may not be anything malevolent. It, it may just be something that's letting you know, much like, um, the spirit that inhabits my parents' house. It just occasionally yep. says, Hey, I'm here, you know, just, right. I'm, right. I'm still around and Things get moved, you hear noises, and that may very well be what this is. Very true. Could be. All right. So the next one we got is from Wendy. Wendy says, although I have lived in places where supernatural has made appearances, the house I currently live in has always been decidedly non-haunted, which brings us to this little cautionary tale I'm about to tell you. My husband and I, enjoy poking around in thrift stores, antique shops, flea markets, and garage sales. In fact, it's fair to say 
that over half of the things in our home have been, quote, recycled. Over the past 30 years, I have found a few things that definitely gave off a spooky vibe and have wisely avoided them. In one instance, in an antique shop, the rocking chair situated in a room full of antique dolls literally stopped me in my tracks. With so many dolls, which can seem creepy without there being anything supernatural, it took a few minutes to discern the heavy feelings of anger and dread were definitely coming from the chair. I was proven correct when I returned to the same shop about a month later and felt absolutely nothing, only to realize the chair was gone. I can only hope the owners of the shop just disposed of it rather than selling it to someone, uh, to some unsuspecting customer. In a different category are old photographs, which have always given me a sad feeling for those whose family didn't care enough to keep those captured moments or captured memories or who no longer had any family left. I had never purchased any because it always felt wrong that they were for sale until last year. When my husband spotted a beautiful vintage frame at a yard sale with its carved wood and bubbled glass, it was perfect for a project we were working on. Smiling out at us was a little girl of about seven to eight years old, dressed from sometime early in the last century. The frame itself was still covered in dirt and cobwebs, where it had obviously been in a box in the garage or basement. We happily took our find to the homeowner to purchase. She immediately said, Oh, you're buying the picture of my great aunt. To which we replied, would you like the photo? We don't need it. We're just after the frame. She did not want it since she was clearing out her mother's home and wanted everything gone. We paid for our purchases and took it home. My husband immediately began cleaning the frame and removed the photo and set it aside. I picked it up. It was one of those black and white studio prints that had been painstakingly hand tinted with pastels and it seemed especially sad since I'd met someone in her family that knew who she was and couldn't be bothered to keep her image. I made a few comments to my husband about how cute she was and how much her mother must have loved her because it would not have been cheap to have the photo taken and the print made and tinted back then. Her mother had written the child's name on the back and told, uh, and told him I couldn't bring myself to throw it out. I set her picture on the fireplace mantle while I thought about what to do with it. That night, my husband and I were both woken up by a large thump on our back patio. It was loud enough that he grabbed his gun before going to investigate. We couldn't see anything in the house that might have caused it and no sign of anyone in our backyard. We went back to bed. The next day was a lazy Sunday and we had lain down in the afternoon for a nap. I woke up to my husband jumping out of bed and I heard him walking through the house. When he climbed back into bed, I asked him what was wrong, because I hadn't heard anything. He said he hadn't either, but had been wo uh, woken up sure that someone was in the doorway watching us, but no one was there. He'd walked through the house worried that someone had gotten in while we were sleeping, but everything was locked up. Throughout the week, we both found it difficult to sleep through the night, which is very unusual for my husband. We would wake up thinking we heard something in the living room and kitchen area of the house and then decide that we had been dreaming. I found myself turning on the lights whenever I got up to use the bathroom because I felt uncomfortable in my house for the first time in 15 years. The daytime was not a problem because we were both at work all day. At the end of the week, I went downstairs and started a load of towels. 
we left to do the grocery shopping. And when we we returned, I took the clothes out of the dryer to fold, except they were there were red streaks all over the white towels, streaks that weren't there when I moved them from the washer to the dryer. In the bottom of the dryer were the remains of a couple red crayons. Ding, ding. That finally got through to me. Shaking my head, I grabbed a couple of towels and took them upstairs to show my husband. He was confused at first until I said there were crayons in the dryer. He looked at me, then looked at the photo still sitting on the mantle. He also shook his head and, standing up, grabbed the photo. Sorry, nope, she's not staying. (laughs) He took the photo outside and stuffed it in the garbage bin. He's always been a skeptic, but has lived long enough with me to take notice when something so obvious is happening. What I haven't mentioned yet was that our children are in their mid to late 20s and no longer live at home, and we haven't had crayons in our house for close to a decade. To this day, I still don't know where she got the crayons from to put in the dryer. The door that was thumped and the rooms we heard the noises in had been in the rooms with her photo, but I don't think any of it was meant maliciously. I suspect she was like any child and doing whatever she could to get our attention. My empathy for her photo and the mother who obviously loved her may have caused her to start the contact with us. I did feel bad about throwing her picture away, but I know better than to welcome anything or anyone into my home without knowing exactly what their intentions are. All the noises and strange feelings ended as soon as the photo was gone. Hopefully, if it were the child, she's moved on. The other possibility is that it wasn't the sweet girl in the photo, but something darker willing to play games to earn my trust. The lesson is that an object does not have to have a heavy, malevolent aura for it to be connected with a spirit. This experience gives a whole new meaning to let the buyer beware. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, I mean, you know, I've, I... uh my parents like to go to estate sales. It's it's one of their favorite pastimes. And they have gotten a ton of things from these old these estate sales and everything from you know clocks and chairs and, and you know artwork. You name it. You know, they've got all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. And I always kind of remind them. Listen, you be careful with what you purchase from these things because you never know what you could be dragging out of one house and into yours. So, right, exactly. All right, our next story comes from Brandy. And Brandy says, "I figured I'd share a few experiences or encounters I've had throughout my life. I was about 3 or 4 when I lived in this house and I was dragged down two flights of stairs. I also remember crosses getting turned upside down in the house or flying off the wall. When I was six, I had a tumor removed from my arm, and during surgery, I died three times on the operating table. I remember seeing a bunch of memories from my young childhood, but some of them had not happened yet. When I was eight, we lived in Elko, Nevada, in the middle of the desert. I shared a bed with my mom at the time because of living arrangements. We were lying in bed, and all of a sudden, I hear, Hey, you, get up. I asked my mom if she heard it, and she said yes. 
when I was 10, we went to Las Vegas. My mom and I were driving out to this abandoned ghost town, or so it looked like, but it was the same place my mom, my grandma, and my uncle had seen something come out of the ground, um, had, had seen something come out of the ground. Well, lo and behold, my mother and I saw the same thing. We saw the ground open and something come out of the ground and fly off. It didn't look like a normal aircraft. And as time has passed, I have seen and heard and felt a lot of things that are strange or unexplainable. So, huh. that, Brandy, those are some really odd things to happen. I mean, number one, yeah. getting getting dragged downstairs, I mean, that that's enough to just completely flip somebody out. I mean... I was going to say, that's, that's a story in and of itself. Right. Just, you know, when we're talking about any kind of entity having enough power to physically move you, that's... Mm-hmm. That's something dangerous. I mean, really. I mean, it, it, in all the research I've done, something that has enough energy that could that could physically push you out of the way, grab a hold of you, and move you. And you know, we talk about the amount of energy it would take for you know a, a spirit to you know move a ball across the floor. Yeah. You know. This has enough energy to pick up a child. Right. So typically right. things with that much energy are are not friendly. No. Um but this it's really intriguing this thing that come out that came out of the ground. I mean, Nevada's got plenty of weird stuff that happens in it, you know. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. I I I wouldn't even begin to try to explain what uh what you saw come out of the ground but the fact that your mother apparently saw it twice you know in the same place that that's mm-hmm. even more bizarre so yep. th- thanks brandy for sharing that Th- those are those are some pretty incredible stories definitely thank you all right this next one we got is from joe and it's pretty quick uh, but it says This was back around the time when the Blair Witch Project came out. My friends and I decided to go do a little ghost hunting. I'm from Buffalo, New York, and in the suburbs was an old bed and breakfast that had folk tales of witchcraft being done there. There is a legit pet cemetery on the grounds. There's also a lighthouse on the ground, and allegedly someone hung themselves in it. They say back in the woods, there were tree stumps in the shape of the pentagram. So we... We get out there with flashlights and a camera, and we start looking around. My friend and I venture off into the woods a bit, and the air starts to get super thick. I ask my friend, hey, isn't it getting cold out here? And he responds, yeah, and you can see his breath. So as we are looking into the woods, I get a feeling of pure dread. And in the distance, you can see a black shadow coming toward us. I'm frozen in fear and can't move. And I ask if he can see that, and he says, yes, we need to go now. I can't move, and tears start rolling down my face, and this thing is getting closer. At that time, all of our flashlights and the camera dies. I'm starting to panic, and finally, he pushes me out of place 
and I snap out of it, and we start booking it out of there. I kid you not, as soon as we get to our car, all of our electronics turn back on like nothing happened. We all just look at each other, get in the car, and drive away in silence. I refuse to go back there and never will. I always wonder what would have happened if that shadow reached us, but I'm sure glad we never found yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. So, Joe, thank you for that. That's You definitely experienced uh, something paranormal because that's, uh, that's a, a key figure for paranormal things is the electronics turning off. All right. So, um, so this story comes to us from Catherine. And Catherine says, I'm submitting a one-themed story about growing up in my haunted house. And this one will only tell about the shadow people and the shadow figures three generations of my family have seen. The earliest known and the most common sight of shadow people is when three generation of generations of women have been in the kitchen cooking or cleaning dishes. My grandmother would often see a shadow figure peeking around the far hallway as if watching her wash the dishes. My aunt who lived there alone afterward would see the same thing out of the corner of her eye while she was cooking or washing dishes. When my mother and father moved in to the 200 year old farmhouse, my mother would see the same dark figure in the same hallway from the kitchen. As my sister and I grew older, we too would see the dark figure peeking around the hallway, watching us as we went about our chores in the kitchen. It would always appear out of the corner of our eye. And what is the strangest part is that none of us were even thinking about ghosts, shadow people, or anything else paranormal. We were just going about our daily routines on a sunny day. When my sister and I were growing up, we would spend our time downstairs either reading, writing, or doing artwork late into the evenings. One time, while my sister was reading in the living room, she heard someone moving around in the kitchen. She called out to my mom or dad, assuming it was one of them, but no answer came. This was a common occurrence in our house during the late hours, and when my sister went to check the kitchen that first time to find nothing, she immediately went to bed, which is usually not what I would do. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be able yeah. to go to bed. After that, whenever she was downstairs again, the moment she felt like she was being watched or hear something in the nearby rooms when everyone else is asleep, she would take that as a warning to close her book and go upstairs to bed. This, too, was a common occurrence. One night, while studying for my psychology college exam, I was up very late into the evening in the dining room, fussing over my textbook. Suddenly, out of nowhere, my eyes lift from the textbook to see a silhouette of a human cross along the walls opposite of me. It was as if someone was walking adjacent to me and their shadow was cast along the wall. That was when I figured it was time to end my studies and go to bed. I remember being scared out of my wits, and I had not been thinking about ghosts at all while studying. After my, grandma, after my grandfather, who lived with us, passed away in 2001, we would see his silhouette in the house. One night, when I was up late studying, our basset hound, Cleo, got up from her bed and started to growl in the hallway that led to my grandfather's bedroom. 
I was scared, of course, and I asked Cleo what was wrong, but then her growls turned to happy whimpers and a wiggly butt as she entered the hallway, the same reaction she would make whenever she saw Grandpop. Another night, when I was asleep in my bed and my mother was downstairs all alone, she was crying softly about missing her father and how she wished she could see him again. Then, from the dining room, she saw she saw his shadow reflected on the door leading into the living room as if to say, it's all right, I'm okay, and I'm here. She came to wake me up that she had seen Grandpop and how happy she was to know that he was still around watching over us. Two years later, after my grandfather had passed away and my cousin had her baby, I was watching my two-year-old cousin in the house in the main hallway. Grandpop's room was right in front of us. Suddenly, out of nowhere, my little nephew looks up at the corner of the hallway by the front door, points, and asks, Who's that? I asked him what he was talking about, and he asked again, Who is that? He happy. This was right by Grandfather's room, and before he died, he said he wished to see my cousin's baby. My best friend, who would often spend time sleeping over at my house, would keep her eyes downcast in the upstairs bathroom mirror because each time she glanced up, she would see, she would see a shadow figure out of the corner of her eye peeking. All, all my friends slept over at my house numerous times, and they all said the same thing. They felt as if they were being watched by something, but never felt scared. It was an uncomfortable feeling, but they learned to cope with it. All my girls slept with the covers over their heads whenever they stayed over. Many generations of people have died or passed away in the house over the years, and we have seen them. My mother saw my Aunt Anna, who had died of TB, uh, gliding down the main stairway. Only her shoulders, right arm, and head were visible. My older sister was once outside riding her bike in front of the house, then came stomping inside to my mother to demand that the old lady stop watching her from the window. My mother asked who this old lady was, but my sister had no clue, only that she was looking out the front windows watching her. My sister and I often shared the same uneasy fear of being watched once we had gone to bed. We always slept with our backs to the door of the bedroom because we feared that if we turned around, we would see someone we didn't know peeking around the doorframe. Our house had four floors and each of our bedrooms were on the third floor, which gave us viewing access to the fourth floor. From childhood to adulthood, we both shared the same fear that if we did not have our doors closed, we may see someone or something turning the bend and walking down those stairs. It's a fear that has lived with us for many years, and we've learned that many others who have lived in our house have experienced similar situations. My old farmhouse would hold the wakes and viewings of those who died, but I think they still linger in the afterlife watching over us. I rarely ever feel scared, though. I feel a sense of comfort. So. That's a lot of yeah, activity. A lot. Um and you know, it it could be a combination of 
of past loved ones and shadow people. It could just be how these past loved ones uh, appear. Um, the the corner of the eye thing makes me think shadow people, um, but I, it definitely sounds like the spirit of her grandfather is there. Mm-hmm. I agree. I was I was kind of looking back over the story and um, I I think that's the one that they mention the most, and you know the, the dog's reaction. Mm-hmm was kind of to me what kind of sealed yeah. it as yeah that's probably the grandfather all right so the next one we got comes from parker it says so the stories i have are ghost stories and some happen in my parents home and some at my current place of work i apologize now if the stories jump around quite a bit i have quite a few to tell and they've happened since i was about 10 years old to now which i'm 25 To begin, the house uh, that most of these have happened in was purchased by my parents back in 2007. I was maybe 10 years old at the time, and I remember that my parents rented out a room to an older gentleman, and I remember me and my dad were watching TV in the living room, and I leaned back. When I did, I saw into the guy's room, and I saw an older woman in all white smiling. She was drawing all the light to her. Like everything around her was black. I didn't say anything to my parents, but the next day or two, the guy showed us a picture of his mom, and that was the lady I saw. I just remember getting chills down my back. Maybe a year or so later, the guy had passed, and me and my brother got to move into the same room. And it was a day my parents, little brother and little sister, had gone out and I had wanted to stay. I was doing homework on my bed, watching Jimmy Neutron, and I see this figure behind me in blue dress pants. Most of of the other times, I just would feel like I was being watched, but after some time, most of these stopped. Then, back in 2019, my dad died in the house, and some of the same stuff happened. He happened to pass in his room, probably going to get my sister ready for school. It was maybe 3 to 4 a.m., and I had been in the living room playing video games when I had the same feeling run down my back and the strong urge to look up to the doorway that connected the kitchen and the living room. And it's my dad who made eye contact with me and walked into the bathroom, and when I went to check, there was nothing. I decided to go to bed after that. I currently work at a residential treatment center on tribal ground and i work graveyards so graveyard shifts i've been here almost two years and the ghost strange noises and weird feelings happen on a schedule like a bi-monthly basis when i first started i would see a small child the most visually stunning thing was uh, this white shirt with blue horizontal stripes he would run around in specific parts of the two dorms And when the kid would run around, the residents would tell me about funny dreams they had. But I also started seeing this tall, dark figure, and it would be in specific rooms. One time, while doing my room checks, I saw him in one of the rooms, staring down at one of the residents. Later that same morning, the resident told me she had had this nightmare similar to the Hunger Games, where the main characters are being chased by the demon dogs. 
Several times I've seen and felt a dark presence as I walk to and from my car, or I hear whistling cat calls my name or hey, hey, or you who. Many other staff and residents have had the same. The most current incidents happened to me uh, was maybe a month ago. I was in one of the other units, and the way I was situated, I was able to watch the entire floor. When not looking directly at a room, I kept seeing a head pop out, and it happened all night. Even another staff said she saw the same thing. Within the past two weeks, both staff and residents have seen a figure walking around at night with a tan cape of some sort. I haven't seen that figure, but I felt it, and it's terrifying, to be honest. I hope it's all in my head, but due to the fact that many of the night staff, along with residents, have seen, heard, or felt this presence, it makes me wonder what it could be. I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you think is at the place I work at. I have a guess. I'm thinking a skinwalker, but I could be wrong. Well, I think maybe you you kind of default to skinwalker because you're in a native American territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it could be, um, but I would say that if it was a skinwalker, it would be, it would escalate much quicker and you, you would be looking at something way more malevolent and, and dangerous yeah. than, Probably not something that looked human yeah, either exactly. or didn't have like a human shape. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a skinwalker. I think it's probably just another spirit. Um, yep. and you're just, you're just kind of seeing this residual haunting. Um, but you know, if it was to turn, uh, turn violent or something like that, then maybe we look back at the, at the skinwalker idea, but, um, this, this doesn't really fit with, uh, with a lot of the skinwalker stories that I know. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Unfortunately. Yeah. Not yet. So let's hope it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this next story, um, is, uh, is anonymous. Um, they said they'd edited all the names out. So I'm assuming the one name that we have in here, it's in quotes. So. This is a this is this is an alternate name, um, but it starts out it says so. Tighten your saddles, boys. This is a wild ride. Some important background info: My dad died when I was ten. My mom had four kids to take care of, and then she met quote Cal soon after my dad's death. He had two kids at home, but room for us. They married within the year, and we moved in. The house had four bedrooms. They enclosed the carport and made it a living room, then turned the old living room into another bedroom. My younger sister and I shared a room. My older sister shared one with his daughter, and the two boys, my brother and the stepbrother, had their own rooms. My younger sister and I had bunk beds. First night there, I'm asleep on the top bunk. I feel what I think is my cat on my feet, so I kicked up to get him off. Then I feel four separate distinct winds blow over me, feet to head. I remember hearing this weird um, high-pitched sound 
and later realized it was me trying to scream. My hair, formerly in a ponytail, was loose and my blanket and pillow were on the floor. I didn't kick or throw them off. The winds did. This cow was abusive. He beat us. He wouldn't let us have privacy. We were never allowed to shut doors, even if changing, and was emotionally cruel. I later found out that when Cal and my mom divorced, that he had been just as cruel to his first wife, who had died in the house. Mom got the house in the divorce, but didn't want to live there. So being near an Air Force base, she rented out rooms and let me live there. I met my husband that way. 25 years in 2022. Hey, congratulations. Congrats. That house was beyond haunted. Not only were there the normal things, lights acting up, for example, but we actual we had actual interactions. I know this is long and you may not be able to use all of it, but this part is the true wild part. My husband, then boyfriend, and I were sitting in the old living room that we turned into a game room. I had two dogs at the time, a Sheltie and a Terrier, who were very territorial. From the new living room, we heard the deadbolt turn in the door. If you've heard one, you know it makes a distinctive sound. The dogs went nuts, running to the room and barking. We heard the door open and close, and a male voice say, It's okay, guys. It's just me. And the dogs stopped barking, which they did if they knew the person. I said to my husband, cool, Dan's here. But that's who it sounded like. We got up to greet him. We walked into the room. The dogs were lying down, calm, watching the door, which was closed and locked. No one was in the room. On another day, my husband was doing the laundry and singing badly. He couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. He feels a hard tap on his shoulder and a male voice told him to stop singing. He was alone in the house at that time. <laughs> yeah. He even irritated right. the ghost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what really freaked him out was the day we were lying on the bed watching a movie. Our door was swaying slightly. There was no breeze. I didn't have the windows open, and there was no forced air, heating, or cooling turned on. I told my husband to watch this. Then I turned to the door and said, Could you stop moving it? It's kind of irritating. The door stopped mid-swing. I could talk to it. Like, say I was missing a shirt, and that shirt would show up on my bed when it hadn't been there before. I don't know who it might have been, but I treated it like another roommate and was I was always polite. We've moved since then and now live in the Pacific Northwest. I, and she says, I've been in the tunnels. But I often wonder if the current occupants experience anything. Uh, um, that's really not that common it, where you can interact with a spirit mm -hmm. like this. Like, um, you know, where, where it's not you screaming, telling it to leave your house or something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, right. That would be handy. Cause I need, I need that in my house. I, I need, uh, 
I, I need something that will help me find the dead gum remote. Um, because yeah, no joke. I mean, literally, my remote control goes missing. <laughs> I, I will have it, and five minutes later, it will be gone. And of course, yep. I blame the kids. And and ninety nine percent of the time, it's their fault. <laughs> probably yep. to the point where i've threatened to put it on a chain like a pin at a bank and uh <laughs> but it would still be helpful to have a, a spirit that could help that's you right. find so it. so that's what i need i need to be able to go ah, i need the remote and then it just show up all right so this next one comes from charles it says i was really not sure if i wanted to type this out but as i wrote i found it cathartic almost after I had typed everything and read through it several times, I felt I should send it in. If nothing else, maybe someone else has been in the same boat and they can resonate with the story and not feel so alone. It says, my name is Charles. In college, I met an incredible woman and fell in love. After many awkward encounters and clumsy dates, we finally formed a solid relationship and ended up getting married soon after college. We moved in together got our first serious jobs, and life was going really well for us. We had both been from fairly small families, and we had uh, long talked about having a large family together. Soon after getting married, uh, we started trying to grow our family. We had trouble at first, but we were young, and we told ourselves that we had tons of time. Several years later, we were still trying, and that was by far the most difficult part of our marriage. But as a whole, we were still strong together and definitely still loved each other deeply. My wife had gone to school to be a nurse, and early into our seventh year of marriage, she finished going back to school to be a nurse practitioner. She found a new job in a town we were both really excited about moving to across the state. So we packed up and moved our things. My job allowed me to move essentially anywhere, so we were definitely going to take this opportunity for her and for our small family. One night, not long after we moved into our new home, boxes still half emptied in many rooms, I started wondering why my wife hadn't returned home yet. Sometimes she got calls right before she was about to leave the hospital, so I certainly wasn't a stranger to late nights and dinner alone. But this night was taking especially long. Not only that, uh, and this might just be me looking back into the event after the fact, but the longer I waited, the more I felt like something wasn't right. I had been texting and calling my wife on and off for a while as well, and unlike her, she wasn't responding at all. After a while, right before I was about to call the hospital to check and see if she was still at work, my phone rang with an unknown number. Thinking that maybe she had stayed at work late and her phone had died, I answered the number. It was a man on the other end with a professional sounding voice that immediately made me nervous. He told me that he was calling from the local sheriff's office, that there had been an accident, and that I needed to get to the main hospital downtown. I barely heard the words. I understood him, but it was honestly like the sheriff was speaking to me underwater. Nonetheless, in a panic, as you might imagine, I rushed to the hospital. After speaking with the staff there, to my horror, I was no longer there to talk, uh, to my wife. I was no longer even there to hold her hand as she struggled with a ventilator or clung to life courageously. Though she had been the strongest woman I had ever known, the crash and the injuries she had sustained were too much even for her. She had died on the way to the hospital. 
Later, I learned that as she drove through the rain that night, a deer had run in front of her car. She had swerved to miss the deer, clipped it, and her car had ended up in a fair-sized gully off the side of the road. She had smashed into a tree at the bottom of the deep ditch. After the funeral, I never really felt alone for a few weeks. Family and even a few friends from where we had used to live checked on me constantly for a while, making sure I was making it okay, making sure I was getting out of bed and eating. But after a while, the visits got less and less as everyone returned to their regular lives. Yet for some reason, I always felt two ways at once, especially in the home we had started to unpack in together, the home that was still only partially unpacked in. I felt deeply, terribly alone, lost at sea without the one who had always been by my side since college, but at the same time, strangely, I continued to never feel alone. Yet, this was different than the feeling of friends and family in our house. Their visits felt like space was being taken up, like mass and matter was in the house. This, now that I was alone, felt like a presence, but like the presence of wind or of shadow or whispers. I know I haven't explained it well, but in the several years since, I have never been able to explain it well. I've tried many times, but I have never been able to put into words the feeling in that house, the alone and not alone at the same time. Yet even for me, life went on, but the presence continued. And the longer it continued, the more uneasy it tended to make me. You might think that the longer this feeling, this sensation went on, the more used to it I got, but that was not the case. The more it happened, the more unnatural the feeling got. There were times I began to feel almost paranoid about the saturated emptiness in the house. It was like the wrong vibration would grip me, like some deep, sickly, sickening feeling of a terrible drumbeat not resonating properly in my bones. And although I continued to work, often more and more to distract myself, my work was often done at home, and thus escaping the feeling became harder and harder. And you might think I should have just left the house and worked in the local coffee shop or something. And thinking objectively, I would agree, but I was depressed and deeply attached to the half-decorated home. And leaving the house, even to run errands, felt almost like a betrayal to me. But that was not all that happened. As weeks turned into months after her death, there was more than a faint feeling of shadow around the house. Things, small things here and there, began to happen, or at least I finally began to notice them, perhaps at last slowly coming out of the fog I had been in. For instance, I would put dish towels on the bar on the outside of the oven, go upstairs, and come back down, and one would be on the kitchen counter. Or I would leave the light on in a particular room and return later, and the light would be off. Sometimes, especially when I was downstairs, I felt like I could hear some of the partially open boxes being moved upstairs. It was almost like they were being opened and the contents were being placed on the floor and moved around the room. But whenever I went to check, the boxes were almost always exactly as I had left them. Occasionally, an item would be sitting by the box on the floor, but I would put it back into the box, confused and unready, to, unready still to unpack those items that reminded me so much of our old life together. 
Things in the house and within me stayed very similar for months and eventually years. As I approached two years since the accident, much of me had never moved on, but the time did heal some things, perhaps because of the first signs of healing or perhaps because of the bitter loneliness. I finally agreed to meet a woman that a friend of mine had introduced me to. Though I had developed very few friendships in my new house, there were some who checked on me, inviting me occasionally to do things to keep me preoccupied. One of those friends had, for several months, hinted that I should go on a date with a woman he knew, but I couldn't bring myself to accept. Finally, though, I felt I was ready, or at least ready enough, and agreed to meet with her. We met at a local coffee shop that was about all I could handle still, but the meeting was nice. Having another person to connect with on at least some personal level brought a little bit of warmth back into me. Yet that night was a difficult night. I returned home in the evening, watched some show to relax, then went to bed. Since my wife's death, I had never slept well. I had tried over-the-counter sleeping aids, different types of teas, listening to music, and several other things, and yet sleep often did not come to me until late into the night. Thankfully, my job did not require me to get up early, and even when I did fall asleep, it was often fretful and sleepless. Though I had been a deep sleeper since I was a kid, I now tossed and turned in the night, often waking up cold or sweating or jolting awake for, from some gripping fantasy or terrible nightmare. This night was no different, though I had trouble falling asleep. Finally, at last, I drifted into a shallow sleep. I've never known for sure if this occurred while I was awake or if it was simply a dream that I had translated into reality. It felt terribly, horribly real, and the evidence, as I will explain, remained. Yet for all its gripping realness, it also felt like a living nightmare. Sometime in the night, I awoke, or so I believe, out of the near quiet, save the scarce sound of the neighborhood, to a piercing scream from somewhere on the first floor of the house. The wail tore through the house like terrible lightning. Settle, uh, setting the hairs on my body instantly rigid. And though the presence of the house had long felt uneasy, this immediately left me terrified. But I had to check. So, not wanting to enter the darkness of any room as I approached the next light switch, I took a flashlight out of my nightstand beside the bed and crept from room from my room, hurrying to each light switch along the way. I flashed my light down the stairs, straining my ears, and still I heard nothing. There was an empty, horrible silence after that screech. I finally reached the first floor, went through the foyer by the front door, and shined my light through the kitchen into the small dining room beyond. There, as my light fell into the room, shrouded in darkness, bent and crooked and horrible behind the dining room table was a figure. Just for a moment, the flashlight illuminated it. Just for a moment, it seemed frozen in the glow of the light, and just as quickly as I had seen it, there was nothing behind the table, and my flashlight was illuminating the wall beyond. And yet, in that moment, it had been there, cruel and terrible, somehow, in that one moment, contorted beyond reason. I cannot say what it was. I cannot even say for sure that it was. With the little strength I still had, I crept to the table, heart pounding, shining my light ridiculously furiously around each corner 
and into each nook of the darkness. I reached the table where it had been, and there, in the center of the table, was a picture. I shined my light on it, and immediately I could tell that it was dusty, taken, I would imagine, from one of the boxes I had yet to fully unpack. Unable and unwilling to examine it further there, I hurried back upstairs, locked the door to the bedroom, wiped off the picture frame. There, to my disbelief, was a picture of me and my wife, taken not long into our marriage, smiling. Yet down the center of the frame, the glass had been cracked, not smoothly, but roughly, almost as if the heel of a shoe had pressed down on it and sent fissures along the glass. Nonetheless, beyond the fissures, I could see us smiling. From that day on, the presence was more noticeable in the house. Nothing was as bad as that night, but more and more noises came from within the house. More and more things moved where they shouldn't be. Soon after the date, the woman reached out to me to see when we might meet again. I put it off for a while. Though I had enjoyed our time together, that night had made me nervous. Yet, eventually, I agreed to meet her again. We met, got dinner together, and I went home, happy at the meeting, but apprehensive. That night, sleep came surprisingly easy to me. It was not a deep sleep, but I was tired, and this was a rare night when the tiredness carried me to sleep quickly. At some point in the night, I woke up. I didn't bolt awake, but woke up uh, simply like I often did in the night. While I laid there, waiting to go back to sleep, a car must have driven down the road. Because of the position of the house near a slight hill, when cars drove down a particular road, the light from their headlights would shine dimly through one of the windows of the room. As I listened to the soft sound of the car and watched as a soft light fell in the room, there where the wall meets the ceiling was that horrible figure, that crooked shadow bent and contorted, clinging somehow to the wall and the ceiling. For a moment, my mind thought that this must be some trick of the light and shadow on the ceiling, and yet before the light faded, the figure crawled unnaturally and inhumanly onto the ceiling and across it toward the bed. And then there was darkness and that terrible scream, so much louder than I had heard it before, from directly above me in the near total darkness. Utterly terrified, I grabbed furiously for my flashlight, turned it on, and shone the light at the ceiling and around each corner of the room. Nothing was there. No figure, no shadow, no presence. I did not sleep that night. I turned the lights on and tried to distract myself with my phone for most of the night, yet I could still feel something was there. Though I could see nothing, though there were no more screams, I could feel something. In the following months, things continued to progress. I had no more encounters like that, but the small occurrences got more routine and worse. Instead of only distant noises and small things being moved, I would occasionally see shadows, usually for just a moment, or hear faint words, always unintelligible, always as if whispered to me. Yet I still wasn't sure if any of it was real or if I was causing it, imagining it, if my grief and loneliness were causing it. And in those months, I came up with many reasons not to see that woman again. I liked her, but I had a terrible feeling after seeing her. The shadow, or my imagination and guilt, could not handle those meetings, innocent as they were. 
After many more months still, I finally decided that there was no reason for me to be in that city anymore. I had moved there to start a new chapter in our family, but the story had ended there. There would never be another chapter there. There never could be. So, finally, after painstakingly considering, I sold my home, bought a small house in the town I grew up in, and moved our things. Actually, I have not been in the new house long. Despite that, in just a few weeks, I have unpacked more in this house than I ever did in all the years I was in the last house. This house does not hold the same weight, the same memories. So far, all has been well here. I have even started to sleep a little better, though not exactly well. The real test, perhaps, will be going on another date. I haven't brought myself to that yet. Perhaps someday I will. I think I would like to. I think my wife would have liked me to move on. I think. Still, I don't know what was in that house or within me. I know much of it sounds like perhaps it was my wife, her spirit, if there is such a thing. Yet, my wife was such a loving, caring person in life. It's hard for me to believe that some part of her could devolve to such a state. Yet, it is no longer hard for me to believe in such things. I had long not believed. My wife actually loved to learn about the paranormal things, loved to read books about such things, watch shows, listen to podcasts, and even occasionally this one. She's how I heard about you two in the first place and why I still listen to you now. Now, after everything, I believe in the possibility of things happening beyond normal reality, normal existence. But I do not know what this particular reality was. Perhaps it was my wife or some part or version or shadow of my wife contorted by the tragedy of her death. Perhaps it was an imprint of the tragedy itself made manifest in the halls and rooms of the house. Perhaps it was some figment or shadow of my own mind projected before me, the cruel and terrible embodiment of guilt and loss and betrayal. Perhaps it was something else, masquerading as the dark shadow of my wife preying on me in my isolation and loneliness in the empty corners of our house. Perhaps still it is something else entirely. I do not know, and I do not think I ever will. Oh, man. That's. That yeah. was heavy. Um, Thank you for sharing that with us, though. That I, I, I can imagine that was not easy yeah. to type out and to share. And, uh, and, and Charles, uh, from on behalf of Adam and myself, we're, we're so sorry for your loss. Um, yes, I can't even, can't even fathom, um, how difficult that must be, but I do have a theory. Um, in, in listening and reading through this story, I wonder if this was not a manifestation of your own grief, not an imagination, but you know, Adam, Adam has talked about tulpas in the, in the past where you yep, take the words out of my focus mouth, focus on something yep. so hard, so deeply that you can actually make it manifest. And mm-hmm. I think that, your your grief and then on top of that grief the guilt of you 
slowly trying to move forward with your life by by going on these these innocent dates it just brought it so powerfully to the surface that this is how it manifested yeah yeah and it it wasn't i don't i do not believe that this was your wife's spirit that there was any Mm -hmm. kind of anger or animosity towards you or moving on i don't believe that for a minute but i i just believe that this was how your grief manifested to you and the nights of the dates is when it was the strongest and Mm -hmm. that's probably when not only were you feeling a little guilty because of it, it, it that brought up all the memories, you know, good and bad. Right. And, you know, next thing you know, you're having these bizarre experiences in your house. Now, as far as the other things, like the picture, um, you know, the things being moved and everything, I can't really say. My thought is that could potentially be the spirit of his wife coming back to visit or something. The non-scary stuff, the the benign, you know, where he heard boxes being unpacked. That that could be his wife coming back. But I'm I'm wholeheartedly with you on the other entity there and you said exactly what I was going to say, that his grief and guilt over his wife's passing and then going out on a date manifested a tulpa of sorts. It was it was a, a tulpa of his grief, of his hurt, and that's why it looked the way it did. That's why it always accompanied a scream and... I, I think that's, you know, in our humble kind of dumb opinion, we we think that's probably what it was. I don't, I'm with Matt. I don't think at all that um, it was your wife or had anything to yeah. do with her. Yeah. But thank you so much for sharing that story. I, I got upset. I know it must have been very difficult um, to type all that out. Um but what a what a good way to end um this second episode of Listener Stories. Mm-hmm. Um thank you guys so much. I mean we're blown away at the response we get from this each and every year. Um for a lot of reasons, but for me it's it's knowing that you know our our listeners want to be a part of this show. And, yep. and this is a way that, you know, Adam and I are able to allow you to do that. And if you didn't care, we wouldn't get the stories that we get. So we, we know that, yeah. um, that you enjoy the show. Um, you enjoy the, the, the topics that Adam and I discuss. And by your participation in this each and every year, you just, you just, you know, you drive that home for us. And, and for that, we thank you. Yep. And if we missed anybody's story, if you didn't hear yours on the two episodes, we apologize. Um, we got so many in, it may have just gotten lost in the fray. So if you didn't hear it, I'm, I do apologize. We, um, 
have folders and folders of these stories. So we may have just missed it. Um, but like Matt said, thank you to everybody who has sent something in and, and took the time to type it all out and send it to us. Um, we couldn't end our year without you guys sending these things in. I mean, you, you guys are like Matt said before, you guys are the reason, you know, you write these last stories Mm -hmm. for us. So thank you very much. So happy new year, everybody. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.